0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. The President of the United States of America takes pride in presenting the Silver Star posthumously to Aviation Ordnanceman Second Class Mark Allen Lee, United States Navy, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action against the enemy as an assaulter and automatic weapons gunner in sea air land team three. Naval Special Warfare Task Group, Arabian Peninsula, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom on 2 August 2006. Petty Officer Lee conducted clearance operations in south-central Ramadi as a member of Naval Special Warfare Combat Advisory Element for the Iraqi Army. During the operation, one element member was wounded by enemy fire. The element completed the casualty evacuation, regrouped, and returned onto the battlefield to continue the fight. Petty Officer Lee and his SEAL element maneuvered to assault an identified enemy position. He, his teammates, Bradley fighting vehicles, and Abrams tanks engaged enemy positions with suppressive fire. During the assault, his team came under heavy enemy fire from an adjacent building to the north. To protect the lives of his teammates, he fearlessly exposed himself to direct enemy fire by engaging the enemy with his machine gun and was mortally wounded in that engagement. His brave actions in the line of fire saved the lives of many of his teammates. Petty Officer Lee's courageous leadership, operational skill, and selfless dedication to duty reflected great credit upon him and were in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Action date, August 2, 2006. Ladies and gentlemen, to say that I'm humbled to have my next guest on this podcast is an understatement. She is the gold star mother of Mark Lee, the first seal killed in action in Iraq. She is the founder and CEO of a nonprofit, America's Mighty Warriors, which specializes in supporting our veterans and the families of the following. She's also known to the entire SEAL community as Mama Lee. Please welcome Debbie Lee.
3: Thank you so much, Mike. It's an honor to be here today, but boy, uh, hearing Mark Silverstar Award uh, read again just reminds me, you know, the blessing that I had first to be that young man's mom and uh, the amazing selfless individual that he was you know yeah. he literally made the choice that day to give his life to save his teammates and i miss him very much but so very proud of him
2: yeah i mean i, I can tell you that just me reading it uh to me it was very obvious that my voice was a little shaky mm-hmm. um you know it's it's hard for me to get through it even been, been as long as it has and as many times as i've read it and as, as many times as i've heard the story and as many people as i know that were there and you know it's it's still a tough thing to to talk about and get through and i think that speaks volumes to the magnitude with which he he conducted himself mm-hmm. that day and so it's you know it's and again it's an absolute honor having you here i'm looking forward to to getting into into the details of of both him and and what you're doing now and uh one thing that's that's neat we we've had a number of guests on so far, and uh, they've all been guys, you know, and uh, in, in true mic drop fashion, it is kind of a uh, <laughs> kind of a, a men's town or man show style of uh, of interviewing to a certain extent. But you are our first female guest. And, uh, well, the, I
3: promise I won't disappoint. Yeah. This the guys stay yeah. with us because yeah. you you won't want to miss this. It will be men's talk as yeah. well.
2: No, absolutely. And uh, but it's 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 an honor to have you be the first female guest. I, I can't think of a more fitting individual to to claim that title. And and the release date is special. Um, you know, with with September 11th uh, coming up, and it being released then, and the ties to to our community mm-hmm. and and the loss experienced that day. Um, I think it's a, a very fitting and appropriate uh, release for, for this episode. So uh, thank you for coming. I know you're busy. You're here in Texas, but uh, I know that it's it's hard to, to squeeze in time for, for all of us, and I can't thank you enough. for. Well,
3: it's for an coming. honor to be here, and, and it's my privilege to take that time to be able to do that. Um, I'm very proud of you as well and what you continue to do. And so to be able to be here with you today— and uh, inspire, encourage. You know, share Mark's rogue story. Talk about what we're doing. Uh, give people uh, motivation and hope. Yeah, let's do it.
2: Amen. All right. So, um, one one thing I do like to do, kind of right out of the gate, is is to you know to relax and get the the creative juices flowing. Is just kind of a little lightning round of just some random questions that aren't necessarily in any order of, of specificity or importance, but uh, you know, just. To take the edge off a little bit and uh, and get things going. One of the things I like to ask every single person that comes on here is what is your morning routine?
3: Uh, My morning routine is uh, I get up and do uh, some type of workout, whether it's in the gym, go for a walk, uh, swim in the pool. And then I have my quiet time. I'm a believer, and so I pull out my Bible and usually my protein shake for the morning. And yeah. uh, that's how I start my day. My days are crazy busy. And if mm-hmm. I don't take that time first thing in the morning to get those two things that are very important to me done, then I get sidetracked. I yeah. mean well, and it, pretty soon it's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm yeah. exhausted. <laughs>
2: what uh, what time is first thing in the morning for you? What time do you get up?
3: Oh, Lordy be. It d- depends on <laughs> what part of the country I'm in. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say... A Typical morning, if I'm not on the road and doing an event, is probably six thirty.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty reasonable. I know. Uh, that's like I said. One of the things I like to ask everybody is is what time they get up. I'm not a morning person, but one thing I am curious. I mean, you travel what half the year at least?
3: Yeah, probably pretty much.
2: So, I mean, are you are you able to fit that in? You know, throughout all of the travel, like, do you still maintain that up, up early and go it's for It's more walk
3: and, difficult when I'm yeah. out traveling. Lots of times, like last night, we flew into Dallas. I got in here at 1.30 this morning, so yeah. I did not get up this morning yeah. and do a workout. Yeah. Um, we had things, we had to get, you know, get the rental car, get things going on the road and, and get out here. But I do try to still commit to that. Um, maybe it's throughout the day, you know, that that yeah. happens, um, because I do travel a lot, I'll be in the airport. And if I'm there early for my flight, I go do laps around the airport, hauling my suitcase around there, getting those extra steps in. So I'm pretty committed to making sure those 10,000 steps are always in.
2: Are you a Fitbit person?
3: Um, I do wear my Fitbit. I don't know that it controls me, (laughs) you know, but I do like to try to just make sure I always get those 10,000 steps in a day.
2: No, I hear you. I, uh, to me, it's fascinating with, uh, from a fitness standpoint, the, the psychology behind the Fitbit, you know, mentality of people and, and how powerful it is, frankly, like, I mean, people, not that they're controlled by it necessarily, oh, some but they're glued to it. Yeah, like it, I mean, <laughs> I'm it's, not one
3: of them, but yeah, I, I mean, do like to try to gauge yeah. and say, okay,
2: it, 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 it kind of steps in line with, uh, like, you know, Facebook and Instagram likes almost like people are constantly checking to see yeah, you know, that's, how many, how many that's steps not they have.
3: Yeah. yeah I, I do wear it, but that's um, not me.
2: Is there, uh, in terms of how you eat, you know, you work out every day. Um, you seem like you you maintain a pretty good level of fitness. Do you, are you particular about what you eat?
3: I am pretty particular about, uh, what I eat. I try to do the low carb, you know, not so much keto, but close to that low carb, high protein. Yeah. My body, I, I am probably addicted to carbohydrates, love carbohydrates. If I stay away from them, I don't crave them. Yeah. So and I found that's what works for me. I got a pretty messed up metabolism, so I yeah. have to be pretty careful. Yeah, you know, especially with being on the road all the time. You know, oh, people, yeah. you know, want to show their compassion to me by having buy me dessert after dinner. You know, I'm like, no, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm good, really. Yeah. Thank you. Or take this Just box. Give me a hug. hug. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I hear you. It, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I travel a fair bit too, and I know for me, it, uh, it's easy to fall off the carb wagon. Yeah, uh, you know, when you're uh, when you're on the road. But uh, speaking of carb wagons. Uh, what uh, what is your favorite meal?
3: Oh, if I'm not watching carbs,
2: just I mean you can eat whatever you want, like a cheat meal. Like what's if you got one?
3: Probably Mexican food.
2: A specific kind?
3: Yeah, chips, anything? salsa, salsa, <laughs> queso. Um, yeah, all yeah. of the above. <laughs> yeah,
2: everything. All right, you throw a margarita in there? Or? Oh,
3: of course, yeah. yeah? Throw all a right. margarita in there. All right. Yeah, I did enough partying when I was younger, though. That usually it's a margarita. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no. want to regret, you yeah, know. Wake no, no, up the no. next day and go, I did what last night?
2: I know it. It's uh, and it doesn't get any easier. I know. Uh, even you know, turning 40 here recently, like Jesus, the the things that I used to be able to do at, at 25 versus yeah, now are, no. are a stark contrast. I know. Nor would we easier. want to yeah. do some of those things <laughs> yeah. that
3: we did back then. Yeah,
2: no doubt. Uh, what does a, uh, a a standard day off look like if you if you do have a, a day where, a day yeah I know what what's that <laughs> if you ever have one like uh, one was I'd left? say
3: for me probably a standard day off yeah. would be um, I'm blessed to have eleven grandkids Jeez, and I 11. have five of them close to me so my yeah. day off would be to go grab my five grandkids and swim in the pool yeah. go to a movie go out to eat you know go for a little hike spending time with them yeah. that's what rejuvenates me I love being around my my so, grandkiddos.
2: So running a daycare is what a day off looks like for you. as Well, actually, true.
3: I, for 15 years, had a preschool and kindergarten <laughs> oh, really? with 45 children around me, and Bra- I loved it. Yeah. So I Bring guess you're right on. It, yeah,
2: bringing it back. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, people
3: are always like, you take all five of your grandkids yeah. at the same time?
2: How, how old are they?
3: Um, the ones that are near me are 11, 8, 6, 4, and 1. Four boys take, on the top, and, and they finally swimming. were blessed with a little girl. Yeah, so, and you yeah. take
2: all of them swimming at the same time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'd see one of them would would drown if I. Oh was
3: no, in. we've we've done drown proofing yeah. with
2: the boys. <laughs> yeah. People
3: were just like, what kind of grandma yeah. drown proofs her grandkids? Yeah. Well, I had a, you know a marine for yeah. is their father, and yeah. you know Mark was a seal, so yeah. you got to teach them. I mean, obviously, I don't go to the extent that they do yeah. in buds, but you yeah. know they you're, need to know a few of these things. Doing
2: <laughs> some remedial waterboarding if they exactly, get out of line. Exactly. Exactly.
3: Yeah.
2: What uh, What is your most embarrassing moment?
3: Oh, my most embarrassing. Well, I don't know if it's my most, but the one that comes to mind, I was a cheerleader in high school, and uh, our football stadium was a sunken one. So I had been at the top of the stairs, and I, I'm about, I am, I'm 5'10", and I've still so got really long legs, and our, you know, skirts were pretty doggone short. I mean, they just barely covered your your tushy. You wore tights underneath, but mm-hmm. uh, I was at the top of the <laughs> stairs, and I tripped and rolled all the way down the stairs. And we were there early, but it was a regional track meet, and so there was probably about eight other schools with all the guys down there. And, yeah. of course, they're all concerned, oh, my gosh, you know, is she all right? Well, I was fine. I mean, I had a few bruises, but nothing was broken, but— yeah. I'll tell you what my pride was. I was like, please don't anybody look at me. Don't yeah. know who that was that just rolled down those stairs. I still
2: can't believe you were a cheerleader. Like I'm, uh, I'm yeah. kind of floored by that actually. From knowing you as long as I have, I guess that uh, yeah. I, did, I didn't see that one coming.
3: Yeah, no, I, but, I was a cheerleader for, yeah. for several years. Uh, and it was
2: a, a specific sport or several? No, of them.
3: we did. We were a small school, so we yeah. did all the sports. Did all of them. But um, I loved football and wrestling. Those were my two favorite. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, favorite flavor of ice cream.
3: Uh, chocolate Mint.
2: Chocolate Mint. Yes. All right. Uh, I think I actually know the answer to this next question if it's the same one we talked about at Sturgis here. But uh, what's the last book you read?
3: Oh, boy. Uh, last book I read. You might need the answers for me to refresh my memory.
2: It was the one uh, that you Oh, told
3: yes. I read. can um, the name of it. But... Six Days to Zeus. Yeah. I yeah. pulled that up. Yeah. Um, An absolutely amazing book. And I know, I know the gentleman that wrote it, it's you know under a fictitious yeah. name, and it's supposedly not a real story. But mm-hmm. as I'm reading through it, I, I was just blown away by the things that happened to him over and over, yeah. not just in combat, but in his life and yeah. the surgeries he had, and wow.
2: Yeah, I mean, just the, the description you gave me, it sounded like uh, it was quite the shit sandwich, almost yeah. more on a personal level, like when yes. he got back to things that he dealt with between his spouse and, yeah. uh, you know, other other teammates and, you know, what the, the green machine the was doing to him and everything. Yeah, and it, just, was,
3: it was bizarre. I mean, yeah. to the point of I'm reading through this going, okay, I know this is not all exactly his story. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously for security re- reasons, you know, yeah. he had to change a few things and did change all the names. But um, when I texted him, I said, how much is this is really your story? And he said most of it. And yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. Gosh! Yeah. So oh. I would I would encourage everybody to go pick up a copy of Six Days to Zeus. Yeah. It is just absolutely amazing.
2: Yeah. No. It's, it sounds like it. Um, all right. Last question is uh, a cabin with a hot fire in the cold mountains or a cabana on the beach in eighty five degree weather?
3: Definitely cabana on is that the right? beach. Yes. <laughs> your,
2: be, your beach gal? I,
3: I love the mountains. Yeah. But um, I grew up in Colorado. Yeah. You know, I, we did a lot of the snow Yeah. and the older I get, the more my body loves, I live in Phoenix, yeah. you know, and that's definitely my climate. I like the drier, you know, climate than yeah. the, the hot dry versus the hot humid, but I love the ocean, love the beach.
2: So the, the joints are digging the, uh, the heat, right? Yeah, you betcha. Yeah. I you know
3: betcha.
2: Um, Well, you answered my next question. I think you're, uh, you're cheating off of my outline here. I'm going
1: to have to
2: give you the hands up like we're cheating in school. Uh, you said you're from Colorado, but uh, you know where where in Colorado did you grow up? and And uh, give me kind of a brief synopsis of uh, sure. of what your childhood was like.
3: Uh, I was born in Greeley, um, grew up there till probably fifth grade, and then we moved down to the Denver area in the suburbs. Kind of a dysfunctional family very much. So my mom got pregnant with me, and my grandmother arranged for my mom to marry her boyfriend at the time. So he was really? 35, she was 17. Jesus. Um, I didn't know he wasn't my dad until I was 16. Um, Did was your mom fa-
2: arranged that, you said? My grandmother, grandmother arranged, arranged that.
3: that. And I think, you know, looking back then, um, they were trying to, you know, cover up that she'd gotten pregnant, you know, yeah. God forbid. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was a very uh, compliant uh you know, introvert. So, you know, if that had been me and somebody told me that, I'm like, yeah. there's no way in heck I'm raising, you know, yeah. gonna marry that old guy. I'll raise this child by myself. Thank you very much. Yeah. But um, so when I was eleven, I was already five foot nine. Yeah. My dad's five foot five, my mom's five foot six, and there's nobody tall in the family. You know, we're starting to read about this in school and <laughs> the DNA, and I'm like, something's yeah. not right. So yeah. I met my biological dad. Uh, when I was 16 and he's 6'4", on uh-huh. one side and 5'9", on the other, as he told me on the phone, I'm like, what kind of freak are you? <laughs> but he had lost his leg in a tractor act- accident. Oh, but, really? So that's where I got my height from. But, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, and just, did you have siblings?
3: Um, I do. I don't have – I'm the only biological yeah. full, that there's 13 between – Stepsisters, half sisters, yeah. half brothers, step brothers. You know, like I said, pretty dysfunctional family.
2: So, like from from the actual house that you grew up in, what, what was that like in terms of how many how many people were in it and what the what the dynamic? In the house was?
3: that I grew up with, um, I had a brother who was three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was it. My mom yeah. married again um, later in life, and so when I was fourteen, she married again, and um, yeah. that half brother. I left home when I was sixteen, so he was there for. For yeah. a couple of years, but yeah. yeah, those were the two that I basically grew up with. Although I'm closer to my brother, half brother on my biological dad's side, who I never lived with. Yeah, but there's uh, we think more alike. He was in the air force, you know, just retired after uh, 33 years. Yeah, um, so that you know, our build, our you know, structure, family structure is bigger. You know, we think more yeah. alike, and
2: that's uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, the I guess from just it being a different time and and what have you but uh you know i'm curious i guess what growing up in that environment was there anything that that shaped um you to a leave at 16 and b uh to do you think that had an impact in terms of what you're doing now um that that you know in terms of wanting to uh, to give give back to communities um you know regardless of of the circumstances in, in which uh, you know the middle part of your life got you there, was there any influence militarily, patriotic, whatever that uh, that contributed to?
3: There really wasn't in, in my home growing up. I mm-hmm. didn't know anybody that served in the military. Um, what the, Were
2: your thoughts of uh, of service members generally speaking like? Uh, I don't up?
3: know, growing up that I I really did have any. Yeah. You know, like I so said, we didn't talk about that. Uh, my the man who raised me that I thought was my dad was, you know, Sergeant of the police department for the Greeley police, you know, and I think there's definitely some patriotism that comes in there. You know, I know that we always loved our flag. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my faith was a big part of understanding, you know, the country, our responsibility to the country, you know, and you'd ask about helping others, that's how I'm wired, yeah. you know, to, to help others and be there and encourage and support. And, and Mark was that same way, obviously, yeah. very selfless to give his life. But, yeah. you know, people would say he was the underdog. You know, he, I mean, he would go to those people that were underdogs. Yeah. You know, somebody's picking on them, bullying on them. He didn't care. <laughs> he was going to go stand up for them and yeah. and, you know, take care of a need. But that's just, that's just it built in me to help yeah. others and, and want to yeah. you know, give back.
2: Sure. Uh, was there a, a significant uh, driver or influence that made you leave at 16?
3: Um, I think a, I'm very stubborn, yeah. very hard-headed. <laughs> um, at 16, I was pretty sure I, I knew everything. You At know? mm-hmm. 18, I was convinced I knew yeah. everything. But 16, <laughs> yeah. I think I was working towards that attitude. Um, that was when I found out. That the man that was my father, my mom and I were actually fighting, and she said, "You don't even know who your father is. Oh, really. And I looked at her because there had been some other circumstances that made, you know that she was th- there were just other circumstances. Yeah. And I said, "Do you? You know, I'm sixteen. It's like that's thrown in my face, you know, and she slapped me upside of the, the face and I, you know, I yeah. deserved it. That wasn't very respectful. <laughs> what I said to her, but, you don't tell a 16-year-old girl that she doesn't know where her father is that yeah, way. Yeah. And so I think that just kind of put me on a tailspin. Um, she had just married again, and um, I just, you know. That was it. When, actually, when I left home, she didn't know I was for three days that I'd left. Really? <laughs> so it was, it was difficult circumstances. Yeah. You know, and my mom, you know, is gone now, but, you know, she had gone through a lot in her life, and I think she just didn't have the coping skills to know a lot how to deal with things sure. you know and how to do that and i think she gave the best that she thought she could at the time in the midst of all the pain and the things she'd been through
2: yeah that's that's a tough tough way to go no doubt about it um i know uh, it makes me think of things in terms of being a, a father and, mm-hmm. and my kids and how to how to interact and navigate that process which uh, some of it i'm looking forward to some not so much but uh but it's yeah i mean it's
3: well, then you throw the hormones in there, okay. you
2: know. Yeah, yeah. No, Not know. just
3: the girls; I yeah. mean, the guys are. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, Parenting it, is is. I tell people the hardest thing I've ever done, but the most rewarding yeah. thing I've ever done
2: too. No, it absolutely is. I mean, they'll they'll make you laugh harder than you've ever laughed, and make you you know sadder or more worried yeah. than you've ever been in your life too. Yeah. You know, but um, so from when you moved out until uh, having Mark, can you give uh, kind of the the chronological timeline of what that looked like?
3: Sure. Um, when I left, I actually stayed with an aunt. Um, mm-hmm. My aunt Betty has been like my mama most of my life. Love her to pieces. Um, amazing uh, gift that God's given to me and her. But I lived with her for a while, and then um, they found out that the school I was going to, that I was out of the district. So I was going to have to pay $200 a month tuition to go to a public school back then. Yeah. And uh, so I moved in with a great aunt who lived in the school district. And then I married at 18. Really? So I I was married uh, very young, actually had my own apartment right after I got out of high school, but married at 18, um, at 20 had my first son, Christopher, and at 21 had my daughter and at 23 had Christopher and was going through a divorce. I found out two weeks after the divorce that I was pregnant with Mark. So there was no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I had a three-year-old and 18-month-old and I'm pregnant, no child support, no help from their father. You know, or many other family members there, but um, part of that perseverance and determination from the other struggles that I'd been through in my life Mm -hmm. are what brought me to that place to say, I'm not going to quit. I am going to raise these three children by myself. I'm not going to live on welfare. This is not the government's responsibility. This is my responsibility. And there were times I worked three jobs. You know, worked 96 hours a week uh, one year just to be able to to take care of them.
2: and, and so the two things stick out with me with that is that number one, I have no doubt that, you know, setting that example and, and being, being that for your kids, I mean, they, they notice those things, you know, and, and I can't help but think that that, that had to have played uh, a significant role in uh, influencing Mark and, and I'm yeah. sure your other kids, but I'm, I'm surprised and, and, you know, a little bit baffled, I guess, in hearing that, that, uh, that, that you know, there was no support, like, you know, the, the father to, yeah. to, I mean, it's the same father for all three kids, right? All,
3: all yeah, was, all three was, kids have the same dad. He was an alcoholic and uh, was also doing drugs, and so that was his priority in his life. Yeah. And uh, my mom forbid me to marry him. She so, of could course, you see, did. Yes, of <laughs> course I did. I, we talked about that strong will a yeah. little bit mm. earlier, and and literally, if, if she would have left me alone and we'd have dated for a while, I'd have seen some of the, these things and said, "I want no part of this." Yeah. But literally, when you're a strong-willed person, please don't forbid a strong unless you want to motivate them to do something. Yeah, now, tell that them always works well. Yeah, yeah but you can't. But it was not. Yeah. You know, it was not good. We were married for four and a half years, and um, the final time he almost killed me. My three-year-old sat on the couch and, and watched him. You know almost take my life and if it wouldn't have been we were living in a condo and if it wouldn't have been for the neighbors next door who heard me screaming you know i probably wouldn't be here today and it would be a totally different story but again those those trials and difficulties you know that my children have had to live through with me are what you know, you have that choice, how you handle that. And I tell people all the time with Mark, I had no choice the news that was given to me on August 2nd. But I did have a choice how I responded. And because those responses before in life when the trials came were, I'm not quitting, we're not giving up, we're going to keep going through, I'm not sure how we're going to get through this, but we're just going to do one step at a time and we're going to continue to push through. Yeah. And that builds that strength, that builds that character as you go through that process. And so the next time when the struggle's a little bit harder... You know, you've got some experience to base that on, and you're like, "Nope, we're going to make through, we're going to stick together, we're going to get this done."
2: And to me, you know, it's the uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and that, you know, by being that example for your kids, that's what they that's what they learn in terms of okay, you get handed this shit sandwich, this is how you respond to it. You know, and, and to me, that that's one of the things I see that's severely lacking in our society today is that you know, there's there's very few. Good shining examples as to how to handle things and how to conduct yourself under times of duress. Uh, right. In terms of kids seeing their parents go through that, yeah. you know, and, and I think uh, you know that's one of the biggest detriments of, of society is, well, is, is I, lack. I of
3: always it. say I was not the perfect mom. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea yeah. here because I was not. But I mean, in the is. midst of those struggles and the imperfections, and you know, as you go through and go, well, "That was stupid. Why did I do that?" You know, that you learn, you mature. Yeah. You know, as I said, I was a very young, you know, mom. Um, but that, I, I agree with you that that perseverance. You know, my kids did see that. While I may not have been perfect, they yeah. saw that. You know, that's not how we don't yeah. quit when yeah. we handle things. We don't go, you know, get in the welfare lines and yeah. expect somebody else to take care of us.
2: You just keep keep driving, no matter what happens. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a it's a priceless lesson, no doubt yeah. about it, and, and clearly was passed on with. Uh, precision uh, accuracy no doubt about it Um, so from that point on then was was Mark's dad ever in his life growing up at all
3: Mark saw his father his biological father five times in his life and um, it was not like I spent five summers you know with my dad in passing he saw him five times and Mark said that man is not my father you know he's the sperm donor and when he first said that to me I'm like Mark come on that's pretty harsh but yeah, in reality, that's probably yeah, pretty I mean, stinking close.
2: If, if the shoe fits, right? Yeah. Exactly. Was there any other male role models in Mark's life as he grew up, or
3: I was single for eight and a half years and then married again. Um, unfortunately, probably not another real wise choice that I made in <laughs> yeah. marriage, and that's why for yeah. the last twenty four years I've been single. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, he ended up committing suicide oh. and took his own life, and. Um, about that time, there was a youth pastor in Mark's life that I yeah. think was probably a, a really good yeah. role model for Mark and yeah. kind of stepped in and, and helped there and did some things.
2: Yeah. Is that uh, somebody he kept in touch with all through? It is, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's awesome. He
3: actually uh, uh, spoke at Mark's funeral. Oh, so really? He ended up being uh, one of Mark's soccer coach. Um, oh, wow. And so, yeah, he oh, stayed cool. in touch with them. They yeah. were there in San Diego, so he would you know visit on yeah. different weekends there when he was going through Bud's. And oh, that's cool. So, yeah.
2: What uh, I'm curious, what was Mark like as a kid?
3: Oh, Mark was my jokester. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That kid had a sense of humor. And and again, I go back to I've just gone through a divorce. I got a yeah. three-year-old. At this point, he would have been three and a half, and Cheryl would have been two when Mark was born. But he had a sense of humor From the time he was, you know, could barely walk, you know. And I remember him when he was about three telling knock-knock jokes. And he (laughs) thought they were hilarious and they were the stupidest (laughs) knock jokes. But you'd watch him laughing at himself and you couldn't help but laugh, seeing how funny he thought he was. But I remember I was potty training him when he was probably, I don't know, 18 months, two. And uh, the little wooden potties, you know, that were on the floor. And he was doing his big job. So I left him in there and was doing dishes or something. And I thought, well, what's that noise? Did I leave the stereo on? I didn't think I turned it on. And look, nope, stereo's not on, TV's not on. And it was Mark in the bathroom. That kid, Disney didn't need to hire anybody. <laughs> they could have hired Mark, and he could make every noise, every yeah. sound, <laughs> sing songs. It was um, just absolutely amazing. He From, ended up getting Class Clown two yeah. years in a row in yeah. high school. And I'm always like, and that's going to get you to college how? Yeah. So yeah, great sense of humor, Um very loving affectionate i can also yeah. remember in high school dropping him off we homeschooled him and i he played um, sports with the local high school mm-hmm. and i would drop him off to the bus and he'd come over and give me yeah. a big kiss and hug as he walked away and usually yeah. you know most boys at 16 oh, yeah. 17 they yeah, like I want
2: yeah. nothing to do with mom or dad maybe
3: you'll get the head shake <laughs> or the nod <laughs> yeah. or you know
2: or the or the hey can you drop me off down the street yeah
3: yeah, yeah. please please don't be seen with me so yeah. no uh
2: you, there's got to be like an embarrassing story that uh, that he has from growing up
3: Oh, embarrassing story.
2: Or, or maybe a time that you were frustrated with them. It can't all be roses, right? Like, when, no, did, when did Mark ro- piss you off? There had to have been at least once.
3: Well, see, I'm a bad one. I don't retain a lot of yeah. those things, which is probably yeah. good with yeah. some of the crap that was in my past, but... Um I do remember one time when I came home after being um, visiting my mom, and uh, my kids are half-Spanish. He dyed his hair blonde.
2: <laughs> With the uh, M&M and, route? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. He only did that once. <laughs> and again, it was like, okay, yeah. choose your battles. Yeah. This is not a battle that you need to say anything about, but yeah. it didn't look
2: very good on yeah. him. <laughs> How old was he when he did that?
3: He was probably 17 or oh, maybe okay. 18. Yeah. yeah.
2: Was uh what was his relationship like with his with his two older siblings? Was it like leave it to Beaver, or did they battle it out, or it,
3: both? Yeah. All of the above. There yeah. were times that they would battle it out, but there were times that they were you know best buddies.
2: Yeah. So. Typical sibling stuff. Yeah. 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 Any uh.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna beat this snot out of you, but don't let anybody else be, yeah. beat yeah. one of my brothers or sisters up. But yeah. yeah.
2: What uh, What are his siblings doing? Uh, what, like, what was their path?
3: My uh, oldest son was in the Marines. Um, he is out now and is works for Department of Public Service in Arizona as a mid-level communications manager. Met his wife when he was stationed in Okinawa for six years. Oh, wow. And uh, so the five children that are close to me, grandchildren, are uh, half-Japanese, beautiful kiddos. Yeah, that's cool. My um, daughter, uh, who worked for me for many years in the preschool um, as a teacher, um, married a young man who then, after they married, went in the Army and was a captain, was in Iraq when we first went over. And uh, he just did one enlistment and then got out, and they have six children.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, her experience as, you know, in the school, at one point, the first gentleman she was dating seriously, she wanted 13 children. He said, yeah, 13. that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> And I think because she had a classroom of 10 children, yeah, she, you know, wanted her own she classroom. did great. She yeah. figured it would be easy. And I'm like, yeah. again, that's not a battle you choose. Once she starts having children and having yeah. to pay for them, that's yeah. a little She'll different than having them for 10 hours a day you know, yeah. in, in your classroom. Yeah. But she has six, and I think they would have, have more if it were up to her. But her yeah. husband, they're good. They yeah. actually had five biologically and then just adopted a drug baby oh, wow. um, that they had since she was two days old. And she's two now, and they fought like heck in court to get her. Yeah.
2: So. Uh, to me, it's... Uh that that number of kids. I mean, I have two, and and you know, my parents had four, and I know my my grandparents you know, on, on my 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 grandfather on my mom's side. I mean, they had eight or nine, right. I think. And you know, it, it, to me, that's astounding. Like, you know, to, the the two that I have now are are enough of a handful to where like I can't even wrap my mind around having six, seven, eight, ten kids. Like, right. it's, I, I mean, it's I don't even know how you, how you deal with that, right? You know, but, uh, obviously people do it fewer, fewer people do it nowadays, but, um,
3: well, what, and I think when the families were bigger, you had the moms were able to stay home. Yeah. You know, a lot of them didn't have to work.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think so, there was, there was a lot more to do around the house that they needed. A lot of it was people farm help. life, yeah. you know, where yeah. you,
3: they were out busy working, yeah. the farm staying busy. So
1: yeah, now you,
2: now you would, you'd be running a daycare, having 13 kids running around a backyard trying to, <laughs> trying to herd cats on ice. Um, in terms of you know him him growing up and, and you, you mentioned uh, homeschooling was was a big factor of that uh, from running a daycare that you wanted to homeschool to to do both or what uh, how did how did that shake out what was the kind of the driving force behind homeschooling
3: I think part of that was just some of the stuff that we saw happening in the public schools that we didn't agree with and um, it wasn't anything that. I chose to do my second marriage. You know, my husband came home one day and said, you're, you're homeschooling the children. We're not going to deal with this anymore. Yeah, And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. And that was before I had the school. So yeah. this was something all new okay. to me. We were pretty poor. Yeah. So there was no money to go buy curriculum or get books. It's not like today where you've got the online schools that you could take advantage yeah. of that. And so I had to develop our own curriculum.
2: So you were voluntold to homeschool yeah, the Yeah, I was huh?
3: voluntold. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I look back again. To that preparation, that Mm -hmm. gave me time to spend, you know, some great quality time with my kids. Um, It was, uh, you know, the beginning of their life was pretty rough and pretty rocky, you know. Mm -hmm. And so this was a time where I could kind of calm things out, build a little more confidence, confidence. Make, make it easier for them and yeah. not so rough at that point, not yeah. make it easier, give them everything. Because I think parents, yeah. you know, make mistake when they start feeling, oh, my children have gone through so much. I got to compensate yeah. and give them this and do yeah. that for them and not, not make them do chores or stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it was definitely a benefit. When I started the school, then... Um, my oldest had already graduated. He did his GED in, uh, in the state just so I could kind of know where I was at, what I still needed to teach to him, yeah. and came home with one of the highest scores on oh, a really? GED that anyone had ever had in Oregon. So I'm like, oh. I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> We're finished. Yeah. And then um, when my husband died and I'm trying to run the business and homeschool, it just got to be too much, so we put him in the private Christian school. There, most of the year, he couldn't play with the high school team that he played with several years going to the Christian school because they had their own team. So then I would take him out during soccer season and homeschool him so he could still play with the team that he played with for many years.
2: Yeah. Uh, Did he just play soccer? Did he play other sports growing up, too? He
3: played baseball one year. Um, Did he swim at all? Didn't swim at all until I mean, so he, he was wanted he to become guys. a Navy yeah. SEAL. That's when he started going to the pool and doing laughs. But so we didn't yeah. have any money yeah. to do. There were no little league sports and stuff for them growing up. Yeah, He came home his freshman year and said, Mom, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, Mark. Well, I've always <laughs> taught right. my kids, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything that you you know determine in your mind you're going to do. But, Mark, you've never played soccer in your life. Yeah. And he was, in (laughs) fact, trying out for the Colorado Rapids Really, and blew out his knee, which is the professional soccer team in Colorado, blew out his knee the night before tryouts. And he was uh, the youngest soccer coach they ever had at the high school where he went to and uh, an amazing, amazing soccer player actually yeah. played with the Iraqis yeah. in um, Ramadi, and I guess the, several of the SEAL teams had kind of an ongoing competition
2: yeah. over <laughs> there,
3: and they were never able to beat the locals.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, it, Mark's
3: team beat the locals. No way. Yes, oh,
2: that's awesome. and they
3: said, "You, we got to have a rematch. We got to have a rematch." I said, "Well, that rematch is going to have to be in heaven now." Yeah. Um, there was actually um, someone who told me one of the lo- local soccer fields there that was dedicated to Mark from the Iraqis. No
2: way. So, yeah. That and is... then
3: just two summers ago, the Colorado Rapids called me and presented me his team jersey. So
2: yeah, That was kick-ass. That was,
3: that was pretty cool. That was yeah, really cool. Yeah, pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, it's a hell of a gesture from them too. Yes. Shout-out to the Col- – what is it, Colorado? Colorado Rapids. Uh, Rapids. Rapids. Yes. Shout-out to the Rapids. Get you guys on here at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, were there any, you know, significantly traumatic or, or big kind of life changing events during his childhood? Do you think that that shifted him? Whether it was to serve or or just generally speaking, uh, you know, I'm always curious and uh, people with fascinating stories, especially of of, uh, uh, of of heroism to this magnitude. You know, if if there's something that, you know, you'd mentioned that he was always the guy that you know defended the the indefensible, and, right. and you know, was there anything that kind of significant that happened i know for, for me there was but i'm curious to can you pinpoint anything and, that kind of I drove I know
3: me? that there was anything significant i know that it was very difficult you know when my um second husband died yeah and very traumatic mm-hmm. you know to watch not just himself feel the pain but to watch what you know mom was going through as well yeah I think 9-11 obviously impacted all of us, although Mark was already in the military. Yeah. In um, August of 2000, my oldest son went in the Marines. In October of 2000, my son-in-law went in the Army. Ma, Mark and, and my son's name is Chris. My son-in-law is Chris as well, so that can get confusing. But my son-in-law, Chris, Mark and he were pretty good buddies in in high school. And I think there was probably a lot of that competitiveness, you know. He was the youngest, so he was always going to, you know, felt like he was trying to vie for attention or prove something. I don't know. It's kind of a characteristic of that younger child. um, And he came home in, in May and said... I was at the recruiter. I signed up. I you mm. know, I'm going to be a, try to be a Navy SEAL. He, you know, had the contract. Yeah. Doesn't guarantee you'll be a SEAL, yeah. but to go to buds. Yeah.
2: a dive fairer so, contract. Yeah. Well, so I mean, that's interesting. So I mean, there wasn't like would you say that patriotism or or service to one's country, you know, things of of that uh order, I mean, was that something that was instilled talked about a lot or or was military service not something that you know, that was uh, a role or a factor in uh, in any of your kids' lives? There
3: weren't—there wasn't anybody, you know, a family member that they had aunt— uh, or, you know, my brother was in the military, but yeah. he was in England, and because I met him later in life, you know, there wasn't that growing up connection, you mm-hmm. know, for my kids. But uh, when Mark was asked before, why'd you become a Navy SEAL? He's like, it's all those military movies Mom made us watch. <laughs> and that's just something I've always yeah. been drawn to, yeah. to— know that there are men and women that would go fight for me for my freedoms I've always known that someone paid that price and I've never taken that for granted obviously more so now you know losing mark and having a even deeper price that our family knows for paying for that freedom but I've always respected our military and you know when my boys talked about it I'm like that's awesome I'm proud of you
2: yeah so it, so it was, it was really kind of off the cuff and, and he, he he surprised you by joining
3: yeah he you know I think every young man that watches any of the Navy seal movies they look yeah. at that and they're like I'm gonna be a Navy seal yeah. you know but they don't follow through and make a plan yeah. to do that uh, Mark had gone to seminary to be a pastor um, down at the Master's College and was playing soccer down there as well his first year he was going to be a youth pastor And then when he went back, he decided he was going to change and be a lawyer. And so, my my warped sense of humor, (laughs) I say, first he was going to save him, then he was going to defend him, and then he became a seal and just said, I'll just kill him. (laughs) But, um, that's awesome. And then he went to try out for the Colorado Rapids. Well, when he blew out his knee, then he came back home, you know, and was recuperating. And while he was doing that, that's when he really started reading some, you know, other Mm. books that Navy SEALs had written. And I think that's when he really put his mind to it. And you'd see his notes as he prepared. You know, workouts and what, how yeah. many reps of what he was going to do, and that's when he started going to the swimming pool yeah. near us and just swimming like crazy. You know, yeah. and, and again, he would never had even swim lessons. Yeah. We couldn't afford that. Yeah. And so, the determination and the perseverance in that young man to do that, you know, yeah. was, was pretty amazing.
2: I mean, not not to call uh, call your other kids out, but uh, did you see a disparity between his his drive and self initiative and, and proactivity? In, in comparing or contrasting it to your other kids, were they all kind of on that same level or was he a, a kind of a notch above?
3: Uh, I'd say he was probably kind of a notch above. Yeah. Uh, you know, my son-in-law, I wasn't around as much to see, you know, his determination there. My son, Christopher, has that pretty same determination. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a, a black belt martial arts instructor for the military, and I remember when um Admiral Pivas came and visited us the day after Mark had died and you know I said man you know my as a single mom my goals when my kids you know got to 18 I'm like okay if nobody's killed in a you know drive by shooting and there's no drug overdoses and nobody's pregnant in 18 whew, I'm good yeah you know my standards weren't real high <laughs> so as I'm talking to, you know we're talking about Mark and what he did and my other son Christopher's there and I'm pointing over at him going Okay, maybe I went overboard a little bit. I got one that's a Navy SEAL, one that's a Black Belt martial arts yeah. instructor in the Marines, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, not that you could ever go overboard with that, yeah. but yeah. you know, I'm very proud of both of them and their yeah. drive and determination yeah. to
2: yeah. you know. It, it sounds like uh, the whole the whole family's a get after it, you know, type uh, type of crew, so that's that's awesome to hear. Um th- that knee injury obviously it was significant enough to curtail the the dreams of the of the soccer goal, but did that play a role or did that have an impact uh, in terms of him? getting through uh, maps and and being able to join the navy or did it obviously it healed enough but what yeah, did not cause any Obviously
3: problems? it healed enough he had uh, ripped his ACL and had half of his meniscus removed Yeah So it still boggles my mind how did you become a navy seal <laughs> I
2: know you can't I play mean, soccer but you can I mean the meniscus was
3: in CEO. our refrigerator for 6 <laughs> months cuz he always wanted to show people so yeah. I saw that piece of you know yeah. his body that was missing yeah. And you know you went through the training yeah. the pounding the running the you know jumping out of airplanes yeah. your knees take oh, yeah. a huge toil. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, but he he seemed to be be okay
2: did it seem to bother him at all going through training was that a little bit you know
3: him? you would hear him say you know it aches but he had more problems he um the first time that he went through uh buds was in class 239 yeah. and um as you know there's that point uh wednesday mm-hmm. night thursday morning yeah. early where if you get pulled which yeah. he had uh, pneumonia, and pulmonary edema. So he had water in the lungs and water outside the lungs. And when they did the med check on him, they caught it. And even then, they you know they said, We're, we got to yank you. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. Yeah.
2: And they wouldn't course, roll him forward. He, was, he was an right hour
3: on. away from that point where he yeah. got rolled forward. Instead, he got rolled back, um, went back to class 240, and called me Monday night of Hell Week the second time through, which Hell Week's about seven or eight weeks through the training,
2: uh, it's bounced around a lot. I mean, it's been as early as like the third week and as late as the fifth, but uh, okay. it's usually so he's the third, fourth, gone or through fifth
3: part week. of that, yeah. you know, second class again,
2: yeah.
3: um, and had, you know, rang the bell and he called me and he said, "Mom, I rang the bell." And he, I'm, he's a jokester, so I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. You want yeah. this, too bad." Yeah. So what else is going on, Mark? And he's like, "Mom, I'm serious. I rang the bell." Yeah. And I'm like. Yeah, and I started asking him some other question. He goes, Mom, it's Monday Night of Hell Week. I wouldn't have privileges to call you if, you know, I'm like, oh, you're right. And um, he'd fell in love with a gal who, you know, convinced him this was not conducive to, you know, family life, which it's not. It's difficult on the family. it's almost impossible. But um, so he was assigned to the USS Eisenhower, which was in Dry Dock in Virginia Beach.
2: It's always a woman.
3: No, it's all, well, he still had that choice no, I don't, I don't <laughs> but yeah, she did way heavy yeah. on him to make that decision. Oh, no but um he was driving a shuttle bus for the army and I have a <laughs> yeah. picture of him with his head on the <laughs> big wheel like oh my that's good
2: that's a good, that's a a good motivating picture would, for the next yes. time around. yeah
3: and it you know, as you know, it's oh, very yeah. unusual once you've rang the bell to yeah. get a chance to go back and he had to yep. go through a all year of, of Writing essays, doing extra PT, meeting yeah. with officers, yeah. and you know, and rightfully so. If you've quit once, the odds probably are pretty good mm-hmm. that you're going to do it again. And yeah. He was in running for honor man
1: yeah. when
3: he uh, graduated class two five one. He wasn't the honor man for, yeah. and I remember that call when he called and he said, "Mom, I didn't get honor man." Yeah. I'm like, "Mark, you got your trident," <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know. But I get it. I'm competitive, yeah. so
2: yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, so th- was the process of him going back through was that. Uh, how did that weigh on him uh or or from your observation how did that weigh on him being able to go back and, and the, the seriousness of it and and kind of if if the the stakes have been raised so to speak like did did you guys talk about that at all in terms of okay we, this is my second shot you know type of thing and, and obviously did was he not with that that woman at that point or
3: well um he had called me and um I remember having this conversation. He said, she doesn't want me to do this. And I said, honey, are you sure this is where God wants you? Because yeah. if you're not doing what God designed you to do, you're going to come home and yell at the wife and kick the dog, and nobody's <laughs> going to be
1: happy. <laughs> yeah.
3: And he said, no, Mom, I'm sure that's where I'm supposed to be. So you need, you need to do what it takes. You need to get your butt back there, you know, whatever it takes. And um, so that's, that's when you know, he went back at that time. And uh, that- you know, a little wiser, Mm-hmm. you know a little more determined now knowing
2: yeah. what's on the other side yeah I, I know for for myself and a lot of us like we would stand on the beach and you'd see the the haze gray and underway big mm-hmm. ass boats floating around out there and i mean for for most of us that was enough yeah you know seeing seeing those <laughs> I ships i there, there, like to yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm there i'll, st- I'll st- stick around being here wet and sandy and, and miserable because i you know the, right. it beats being out there but yeah, because I
3: think a lot of people don't realize that if yeah. you wash out of buds, you well, still have a commitment to the Navy. Yeah,
2: well, and that's one of the you things. don't just it's get
3: to go home and say, oh, "I didn't want the yeah. Seal." You still got a commitment. to the but, Navy.
2: And I think for for the Seal teams, that's something that's relatively specific to that because there's such a disparity between the Seal teams and the rest of the Navy. Whereas, you know, if you try to be a you know a a, a Marsoc guy, you know, a Force Recon. You're still, you know, you're still going to go be a marine and do very similar right, stuff. Maybe right. not as a high level. Same mm-hmm. with army. You know, you want to be a ranger, green beret, whatever. You don't make it. Maybe you're still 82nd airborne or infantry right. or whatever, and, or armored division. I mean, you name it. Is you're still doing something at least in the same lines. Whereas you quit, buds. Like you, you may be slopping, slopping, yeah. you know, chow on a, on a navy boat or chipping Swabbing paint or yeah. uh, cleaning shitters or you know. I mean, like it, it's just right. It's a huge disparity between those two things, you know. So that that certainly plays a role in in helping guys be motivated to stick around. But did that woman prove to did did they stick? Did she stay with him through through buds and and all that?
3: They actually did. Um, we did not know they were married.
2: <laughs> Mike, so little, after, after I've B-A-H. been
3: notified that my son, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> guess, that is a little the extra, B-A-H. extra living. She lived expensive. in New York. Yeah. He lived in San Diego. Yeah, but um, yes, they. They were married when Mark died, and yeah. uh, Mark loved her. And
2: is that uh, do you keep in touch with her? To, to I do yeah. stay
3: in touch with her. You know, yeah. not often, but I do yeah. still stay yeah. in touch with her. Yeah.
2: Wow. Uh, so, what I'm I'm real curious to get is to get a, a mom's perspective of having a son uh, who is a seal. Uh, I know for me. You know, and, and I'm assuming it was probably kind of similar in that it's it's bittersweet, and that you know you're really proud of of your son for what he's accomplished, but you're nervous as hell about what they're doing and when they're gone and, and not hearing from him and whatever. And I'll, I'll never forget, um, you know, the when I came home from Iraq, um, you know, my mom was there, and uh, the look on her face and, and just you know the the way that she I mean she just flipped out basically. Like I've never seen her so so relieved and i'm curious to get uh you know kind of your perspective on on what it was like now that he'd, he'd made it through and and uh you know going through that that kind of roller coaster of emotions of of just him training and getting ready to go to work and you can you speak to that
0: with the lucky land you can get lucky just about anywhere Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown ufo chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps i'll see you soon
3: sure i'm um, very very proud you know of mark uh, my personality though i'm not a worrier i'm not a fretter yeah that's just not not my personality and who i am uh, mark came and visited us uh, before he deployed he deployed the beginning of um, april and his birthday is in march so his birthday we, they came and um, stayed at the house for a week. And I remember when he got in his car and drove away and we we're standing out there waving at him. My oldest son was to my right and standing there on the lawn. And I looked at him. I said, I don't feel good about this. And yeah. he said, neither do I, mom. And of course he's like me, that same not worry or fret or personality. Mm-hmm. But even knowing that and having that feeling when he left, it wasn't like, Every day when I'd see a black car drive by my house that I go, <gasps> is today the day. I mean, I went on with life. I prayed for Mark more than anything I've ever prayed for in, in my life. Um, but I didn't I didn't worry in Fred a lot. You yeah. know, that just like I said, that just wasn't me. Although when I got the call that night from my son Christopher telling me to come home, I knew. Yeah. I knew what was facing me, you know, yeah. when I got home. But I really didn't worry in Fred. I think at that point, because it was early on, you know, other than we'd had Operation Red Wing the year before, there weren't very many casualties. That was a plane that got shot out of the sky. And I think even in the community, the feeling was we've paid our price. Yeah. We lost all that men in that mission. We've paid our price. We're going to be good. You know, we're trained highly. We've got special equipment, you know. That's part of when they changed some of the the ways they were operating instead of just doing the night missions, you mm-hmm. know, and going in and and taking out the enemy and getting out of there. You know, things had changed a little bit then yeah. where they were working right alongside with the the army and the marines. But yeah. um, I really didn't have a lot of that worry and frustration. Now, yeah. my oldest grandson is just joined the Navy, really. and and grandma's got a little of that worry frustration now even though that's not my personality because we have lived through it the reality of we we are in combat you know
2: well i think there's a difference too uh with all parents when they're when their parents it's a certain way and then with when their grandparents it's all bets are off you know like the
3: and, so, and the worrying, what would the worrying have changed? Yeah, no, the, it wouldn't have changed the outcome at all. Yeah. It would have physically made me sick. Nobody's yeah. thinking want to get be around me. So
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I know it. Um, I mean, I tell people that all the time. You know, focus on the shit that you can control. Yeah. Worrying about things that you, you can't fix, can't control, or, or have no influence over is, is an absolute waste of time. Yeah, you know? totally. So, but... Uh, it, were there any experiences, you know, during the workup or, uh, you know, training in general where, you know, you came down and visited the, you know, the uh, BUDS compound or, uh, you know, any, any stories you have of kind of leading up before that deployment that, that stick out as being memorable and, and uh, exceptional in any way?
3: Uh, and, and part of the thing, Mark and I had had conversations before he went, um, especially, you know, when the one he graduated yeah. on. Was no distractions.
1: Yeah,
3: you know, unless someone has died, mm-hmm. you know, I need to stay focused here. Yeah, and so I respected that. So um, I lived in Oregon. You know, he was down in San Diego. We didn't have a lot of money to travel often, so I don't remember. I think there was one weekend that I was down there that that I saw him. Yeah, but uh, we talked on the phone. You know, yeah. he'd call, but I'd always keep it very light. You know, I was having some phys- physical struggles at the time. Didn't, you know, let on or tell him anything about that because yeah. I knew how important that was to yeah. him to be able to stay focused.
2: Did you guys talk once a week, a couple times a month? Yeah.
3: Oh, no. It was, it was usually once a week, you know, yeah. kind of depending on what was going on. Maybe it'd be twice a week and then not for 10 days. But, yeah, we yeah, we yeah, talk. Obviously, uh, going through buds, I don't remember talking as often. Once he was a COE, we would talk, you yeah. know, more often. But. Yeah.
2: Do you remember the, the last conversation that you had with him? I do. Can you uh, walk us through that?
3: It was actually uh, my birthday, which was the week before. <clears throat> and he called to tell me happy birthday. And I was really surprised, you know, he's in the combat zone. I wasn't expecting that kiddo to give me a call. But, um, you know, we talked about. Um, you know, when he got home, he was going to propose, yeah. and and ask her to marry him. And he said, "Start saving money because we're going to get married in Italy. We're going to have a wedding there, and uh,
2: a, a real one, or get married again." Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> And, it, you know, I, I had gone, my neighbors had taken me up to one of the towns there. I can't think of the name of it, on the Nevada-Arizona border that's one of the smaller.
2: Jackpot, maybe. Or,
3: not jackpot, yeah, but close. Yeah. And so we were up there in a casino for, for my birthday. And so I remember vividly walking through the machines and looking down and going, oh, my gosh. And, of course, you always know it's not their phone number. It doesn't say Mark Lee. They filter it through Virginia Beach usually yeah. was where the number. And when I saw the prefix, I'm like, oh, that could be Mark. Yeah. And sure enough, it was. And um, just an amazing conversation, you know, to be able to have that. We were actually IMing the day before he died, you know, yeah. on yeah. whatever you IMed back then. I don't yeah. know if it was Facebook Facebook back maybe,
2: then, Messenger maybe. Yeah, yeah I don't even know if it was really It might have been.
3: Then, what was the other one that was the big chat group?
2: Um, I, I don't know if Facebook. MySpace had... Uh, oh, I think it might have... Wasn't, I, I was never on it, I yeah. don't know. But yeah, maybe maybe it was but, that, Hell, yeah. no, I don't know. But
3: But you think even that technology how it's changed No, oh, i know when it. our veterans were you know in world war ii korea they would get letters and sometimes those letters wouldn't arrive for months oh i know
2: it well and you they know, were gone for three four years yeah. i mean it was you go over there and you come home when the job is finished yeah. you know there was no ro- rotating in and out i i mean i remember uh we we were in Tikrit and uh and took down saddam's palace And afterwards, uh, I was able to call home on a sat phone standing in his fucking rose garden, Yeah, you know, which, you know, again, like, I mean, I couldn't disclose much, uh, you know, but, but just to be able to do that after doing something that historic and and whatever, you know, looking back on, and that was Oh three. I mean, obviously now it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to even fathom really the, the leaps and bounds of, of, you know, the technological advances, Obviously, across the board, but especially for for the war fighters and their right. ability to to maintain a, a sense of uh, you know levity with home and and. Uh you know, communi- being able to communicate more often than yeah. you know, every couple of months is uh, is pretty neat. But
3: yeah, those Saddam was one warped individual. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Um, I visited Iraq twice. and the first Gold Star Mom in history to be in the combat zone I actually went on oh, patrol sure. with the force first of the fourth cav three different That's times awesome. in the door neighborhood, but was in Tikrit. Yeah. My second trip, uh two thousand ten, nobody's going outside of the wire. So we just did a change of command and flew from Biop up to Tikrit. But um, because there was, you know, we were at Camp Liberty and Camp Victory a lot. So, you know, got to tour Saddam's palaces and learn a little yeah. more of the history. And, yeah. and I remember that one, um, I can't remember the name of the palace, but it was one of the smaller ones. It had the heart lattices mm-hmm. up on the second floor. And that's where he would go get have the virgins brought to him and he'd have his way with them. Yeah. And then either would behead them or throw them off of the balcony and kill them. And then he put a heart up there to remember them. I'm just like, what kind of sick man does that? And, you know, the other victory over Iran, I think is the other palace where he did the Disneyland ride to appease his children after he killed their fathers. You know, it's just like, he's just a, a sick, you know, and yeah. all the water that was diverted, you know, yeah. almost the, killed the, all the people in the country for three days with no water. Yeah. And he put it around his palaces. So, because he believed Allah couldn't see all his wickedness that he did, yeah, for they were surrounded by water, and yeah. I'm like, oh, you don't think your God could just look down at you?
2: Yeah, but yeah, no, he, yeah, he was a twisted, twisted yes. fuck, no doubt about it. I mean, the um, the stories that that we had heard, you know, leading up to it, and and just seeing the opulence with which his palace was was constructed, yeah. for me was was hard to take in. Yeah. I mean, it was of biblical proportion you know, in terms of, of the, the intricacy, you know, of, of stonework and, yeah. and marble detail and carvings and, and the size of it. And, and, you know, and he had them everywhere, Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, just between his, how brutal he was and, uh, and how twisted he was with, you know, the way that he dealt with people and, and whatever, it's just, it, it was, it was a, a strange, uh, but unique time to, to be there to witness some of that, right. no, no doubt about it, but, um.
3: Yeah, the um, palace on Camp Markley, my first trip, I got to go to Camp Barkley in Ramadi. And the, one of the palaces there, were you ever at, at Camp Barkley? I, I
2: have not been. So
3: there's, um, again, just one of his smaller palaces, two or maybe three-story. But um, the guys cut out the cornerstone of that building and yeah. brought it back to me.
2: No, no, no way. It's
3: got Saddam's initials on it. Oh, I'm like, awesome. take that sucker. <laughs> So,
2: so, I mean, I, I didn't realize that you'd you been to Iraq yeah. twice. I mean, that's some, that's some OG Mama Lee shit right yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, and I'm uh, actually,
3: I don't have it confirmed yet, but it looks like I'm going to be in Afghanistan for Christmas. So. No
2: way. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. We'll, you know, we'll I figure most out, right? people
3: don't have the opportunity or the connections to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. You I know, who
3: better to great. go over on behalf of all the other family members in America that can't? Do yeah. you know do yeah. that and love on our troops and kind of bring a piece of America to them yeah.
2: so no I agree I, I'm, I'm now hearing about the the two trips I'd love can you expound on on them a little bit in terms of when when they were and what what all you did in terms of sure work the, the
3: um, first trip I went over Christmas 2007 and was there for two weeks so left um, just at the beginning of 2008. Well, collected two hundred twenty six thousand Christmas cards for the troops in the different yeah. tours I'd done across the United States. Obviously, I can't carry two hundred twenty six <laughs> thousand in my suitcases, yeah. <laughs> so we shipped most of them to the different bases in mm. Afghanistan and Iraq. And then I personally took ten thousand of them and uh, handed them out. Uh, I went in that trip as an embedded reporter, is <laughs> how I got in. But um, that's
2: great.
3: Uh, we. Uh, we're embedded with the first of the fourth cab. That's when I went out on patrol in the uh, Dora neighborhoods three different times. And yeah. there were, I mean, I wasn't fired on when we were out there. Yeah. We could have been, sure. but you know, wasn't, we did have a missile go over the base one night. And I remember the, actually it happened twice the first time that it happened. And of course I'm laying in bed and, and I've always wondered what some of those people thought when they're like, well, what's this woman? Yeah what's Mark's mom doing over in the combat zone? Does she have a death wish? No, I didn't have a death wish, literally. I just wanted to go love on the troops and thank them, you know, on behalf of all the other Americans that couldn't. But um, as I'm laying in bed and you know, my little silk pajamas, and I felt the explosion literally on my face. You could feel, you know, you felt these, but for a civilian, I was just like, wow. And I'm like, okay, what do we do? And so I grabbed my, you know my body armor and my helmet and I go stumbling out to the desk. I'm like, what do we do? Where do we yeah. go? What's happening? And uh, they said, it was just a controlled detonation. Don't, don't worry about it. And of course, <laughs> they're supposed to tell you before they do those. Yeah. So the next morning in the chow hall, I'm like, okay, so how do I know when it is real and when it's not? And so they yeah. gave me all the, yeah. you know, all, what do they say first? They say all clear when it's not done. Now I don't remember what they tell you first.
2: I mean, it, I think it varies depending on what uh, what FOB you're at. Probably, and they all, they all probably. But anyway, so I'm like, to.
3: okay, I'm all ready. So then it happened again, and this time it was a real one. But somehow again they'd messed up, and so then the, there was the all clear, all clear when it was done. That one I just stayed sleeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. but and I remember um, getting off the plane when we were at Biop, and. uh Again, I've never, the first trip, I've never been in combat zone before. And as we're landing, we're doing, it's at night and we're doing that corkscrew. My background's aerospace science. I oh, know really? how planes land. I know yeah. how they crash. Yeah. When you do the corkscrew thing, that means you're probably, you know, coming close yeah. to your
2: coming planes out of, yeah. yeah.
3: But they obviously do that. So the enemy can't determine, you know, the flight path and shoot yeah. the planes all down as they come in. But um, I get a little motion sickness. And so as we're coming down, I'm you know, in this... Uh, military plane and with all these other brave warriors and i'm yeah. like oh it's <laughs> gonna be so embarrassing if yeah. i get sick on this plane yeah. i didn't i yeah. held it together but i felt pretty bad and i've learned that you've you know fixed on the horizon that helps yeah. well it's dark or it, there's no windows it like in this yeah. plane you know there's one way up front a small one but i didn't yeah. know if we were close to landing yeah. we land get off the plane and again there's explosions going on like crazy i'm like yeah i'm in the combat zone i knew yeah. this you know it's probably what it's like yeah. again there was the Controlled detonations that they do at the end of the base when they find the IDs and yeah. bring them back and blow them all up. And so I said I could have been like Hillary Clinton, going, "Yo, I got in the comments so <laughs> I, oh, I was running." You. No. Yeah, no. But it was an amazing opportunity. Um, got to go to Camp Markley. That's 2007. So Ramadi was still pretty bad. I didn't go out yeah. on patrol there, but um, I did check in, you know, with my boys, um, my Mark's teammates from Charlie Platoon. Those, you know, are really my kids now. I said, I don't have a death wish. is a really stupid idea for me to be going over there. And they're like, no, Mama Lee, as long as you fly everywhere you go, don't do ground transportation. Oh. So um, we got there, and it had been two days travel trying to get over there. And I hadn't slept in two days, and I was exhausted. And they got it, flew us from Biop up to the green zone, which there's not much dis- distance. I think it's only like five miles maybe yeah. between Biop and the green zone. but you know, again, because, you know, ground transportation was bad. And we were waiting to get our our media credentials. And I remember them coming in saying, it's probably going to take a couple days. I'm like, oh, good. I think I could sleep for a couple (laughs) days. And I just fell asleep, been asleep about an hour and was in a dead, dead sleep. Oh my gosh, that sleep was so good. And they came in and woke me up. They said, "Uh, your ride's here that we've got an rep that's going to pick you up. They just dropped someone off at the hospital and they're going back to their fob. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's ground transportation. I'm like, I can't go. Excuse me. um, I'm (laughs) Mark's mom, and you need to fly me. I'm like, this is a combat zone. Our resources need to be there for our veterans. If that's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And um, got in, and, of course, it was the, is it AID? Is the holiday over there?
2: Uh, yeah, something like that. I mean, but it, was, shit, it was, was that
3: holiday, and, the, and the they were shooting their guns off yeah. to celebrate. Well, yeah. I don't know any different, yeah. so I'm in you know, them wrapped here in all the fire, yeah, and <laughs> going, okay. Um, but it was an amazing opportunity that I'll never forget. Yeah. And to be able to go to Camp Mark Lee, that base that was named, and see the sign, brought back some of the soil from the base yeah. of Camp Mark Lee. Yeah. Uh, you know, See where he slept, see where he walked, where he worked out. Yeah. Um How took did me the top of the palace there and they said when Mark was really you know contemplative and thinking deeply lots of times he'd go up there especially there's full moon not right in the beginning because they were still getting fired on a lot mm. there but and that night it was a full moon that I was there yeah. and the the Tigris and the Euphrates are right in there and it was beautiful the, the lighting I mean obviously it's not the most beautiful country over yeah, there but yeah. you know and I could I, I felt Those like I connected with Mark up there when yeah. he would have been up there one night doing that but
2: yeah, was So, I mean, to me, that's one of the things that uh, that I'm thinking about in, in hearing you describe this is that, you know, so few Gold Star parents, I mean, almost none of them, frankly, have the opportunity to go visit yeah. where they lost their, their kids, you know, and, and unlike children uh, or parents losing their kids, say, here in the States where, you know, if it's a you car accident see, or whatever, yeah. you can... It's a little easier to to kind of right. quantify or rationalize that or whatever. And I, I'm curious, especially you know, being there and walking on the same ground and being in the same uh, same area. But also, to me, there's a, a stark contrast between people that die from either diseases or accidents mm-hmm. or whatever versus you know somebody that gives their life fighting for Very this country. So. Like there, there just is. Very much. Um, and so I'm, I can't help but think or wonder. You know, what What was going through your mind, uh, especially walking around, like thinking this is what what it was like with him walk you know, can can you kind of describe what I was think going through your de- head? It
3: definitely gave me a different perspective of in my mind what I thought it was like or what was going on. I think it very much... It it gave me that visual. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now when I look back at pictures of Mark or when I talk to his buddies about it, I can see where they were at. I know where they were walking. I know what they were doing. I know what equipment was in the gym. I don't know what it was like when they went in, you know, a battle. Yeah. You know, I wore the body armor. I went out on patrol. I got a glimpse of it as a civilian could, but I still have no clue what you guys go through. But it gave me a deeper understanding. I remember when we were at Fob Falcon and been out on patrol that first day and I was in— the office and was writing some stuff to remember you know what we saw and they had done a briefing with us the night before we went out and literally a year before it looked like a ghost town yeah there were no shops open nobody was walking on the streets no cars it was just it was dead yeah and when we were out there the kids were playing the park was open the you know different businesses were open And um, so when I got back and I was writing about it and I asked the guy, what was the name of that street again? He goes, I don't know. I've never left the FOB. And they were getting, that's when they were doing, the Army was doing 15-month rotations. And they are getting ready to go home. I'm like, you never left the FOB, ever? Yeah. He goes, no, I'm, you know, I'm support. I do stuff in the office. Yeah. And somehow in my mind, I really thought that didn't matter. I knew people have different things they do, but I thought probably part of that, you always rotated out and did patrols somewhere, sometime. Yeah. And so that gave me that perspective for what different people do as well True. you know people parents will say oh my gosh my kid's going to kuwait i'm so worried there i'm like there's nothing going on not that yeah. there couldn't something yeah. could start but kuwait there's no yeah i
2: mean they, they have as, as
3: they uh, drive like idiots yeah I mean you gotta got to be careful because yeah. you could die in a car accident well, over there yeah, i was, there, just, I was but, just
2: gonna say you're more likely to, to die in a car accident with yeah. the way they drive over there than yeah that uh, was crazy you know, than anything else but
3: and then I went back in 2010. Nobody was going outside of the wire. Um, I was embedded with the 321st AEW, uh, which is the Aviation Expeditionary Wing. And they were helping um, the Iraqi Air Force rebuild because they'd lost everything in the beginning. And so got to actually meet a lot of the officers there when we did the change of command. And a lot of the Americans had gotten pretty close, not just working relationship, but gotten pretty close with a lot of the Iraqis. So they we did the change of command together. But when I was there, um, I had asked General Anwar, who was there. Uh, I don't know how many stars that was for them over there, but he was setting up the Iraqi army. And I asked several questions of him, and the last question I asked, and I'm glad it was the last one, I said, I don't think the mainstream media has done a good job of portraying what's really going on over here. If you could say one thing to the American people, what would you tell them? And he kind of hesitated, and you could see him swallow hard, and the lump go down his throat. And he said, we will tell our children, we will tell our grandchildren, we will tell our great-grandchildren, there's American blood that's poured out on our soil. And you didn't hear that on the news, you know? And obviously for me, that's personal. That's my son's blood that he's talking about there. And to have that opportunity to hear that to see all the Iraqi people when I did went out on patrol that loved Americans and you know were grateful for what we were doing over there, yeah. you know obviously we see the media and you know the journalism is not what it used to be where they give you the facts and then you develop your own opinion. You know yeah. it's it's opinion pieces anymore. You know, Let tell not you really your opinion and then you can yeah. figure out yeah, if
2: it's exactly. factual or not. Exactly.
3: Yeah. And um, so I knew that there was definitely a slant, you yeah. know, before I went over, but.
2: But you, you know, and again,
3: being the first gold star mom in history to be in the combat zone where my son died.
2: Yeah. You know, how, how did you, you didn't this? hear that on
3: the news either. Oh, yeah. But yet Cindy Sheehan was on the news all the time dishonoring her son. You yeah. know, I was yeah. like, oh.
2: Yeah, how, how did you pull the second trip off? Same embedded reporter thing, or was there a different?
3: No, that one well was sort of an embedded reporter, but <laughs> I got to know around. General Petraeus pretty well, and so I just reached yeah. out to him, and they're like, "Get her over there." Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> so. So,
2: that's such a neat experience, I man. I, the only thing I can think is that it both from a closure standpoint and uh, and from kind of filling in a lot of the blanks, you know, adding a lot of pieces that were missing from the puzzle of of understanding, you know, where it happened and how it went down and what that environment's like that had to had to be extremely helpful, I would think.
3: Well, and a lot of people have asked me that about the closure, and I mm-hmm. don't feel like that really changed
2: mm-hmm.
3: anything by being there or not being there. Yeah. And I think that obviously so we have to be very careful, uh, you know, if we take other gold star families over there. Because you don't know how they're going to react, you know. There's a lot of them. Um, We've worked with families through our foundation, you know, for the last twelve years, and grief is a dissector, Mm -hmm. you know, and it. A lot of families don't process through the grief, and they get stuck in it, and then you could have someone over there
2: that's having a breakdown. Yeah, yeah.
3: that's going to be another problem. Or. You know, tries to do something stupid and grabs a weapon and tries to have revenge, or, you know, you don't yeah. know what somebody's sure. gonna do. Yeah. And I think that was part of because I had been working with the military up through that. I had yeah. been already supporting our fallen SEALs, their families. I had been supporting, you know, our wounded SEALs who'd come in. So they knew how I was gonna yeah. respond and that that would be okay. But, yeah. you know, if that, can, you know, and that's part of our foundation. Anything that we can do to help these families in the grieving process yeah. to bring them back to that healthy side they will never be who they were before their loved one yeah passed sure. same thing with you guys you'll never be that warrior you were before you went over to combat yeah. but whatever we can do to support you guys and those families that have fallen through our programs to process through that grief to begin that healing journey you know that's what we're all about
2: yeah no i i agree i mean i think it's uh and we'll get into the, the nuts and bolts of America's mighty warriors here in a minute. One thing that I, I think is important for the listener out there that, you know, whether you have military uh, ties or not, is in terms of understanding the the magnitude uh, of loss that exists when a parent loses a child. I mean, it's not, you know, you hear whether it's an adage or just kind of a consistent mentality in, in our society is, you know, parents aren't supposed to bury their kids. Mm. And I would, I would appreciate, and I know listeners would appreciate, if you can tell us, um, you know, if you can walk us through, uh, you know, that, that day where you found out, um, you know, and, and, and if you can, try to, try to put that into words.
3: Yeah. Um, obviously, toughest day of my life, you know. As I'd mentioned, I've been a widow for 24 years, so I'd walked through the death of a husband. I'd walked through grief before. And I wrote in my journal two weeks after he died, uh, after my husband died, what's wrong with me? Why am I still crying? Why have things got, not gone back to normal? I had no clue the process, at the time that it takes to grieve. So at least when I lost Mark, I knew that grief was a process, and I knew this was going to be much harder yeah. than losing my husband. But um, Mark actually died in the morning, and uh, they had were trying to locate me up in Oregon, which is where I raised my kids, and I'd moved... Um, during mark's deplo- not during his deployment during his time in the the teams i had uh, moved down to arizona he'd visited me there several times i know he had called to confirm the address before he deployed when he was working on the paperwork again so i know they had the right address but they had been looking for me for about 8 hours up in oregon and uh, we kind of lived outside of a small town and finally one of the neighbors home came, came home from work and they said well she doesn't live here anymore she lives in arizona and i still own the building up there but um at the time the building was empty and so they had sent typically and and we've perfected things in the seal community how we do the notifications we've gotten more experience at it which i wish we didn't have but um because they were afraid i was going to hear on the news about eight eight hours had gone by already and so they just sent the local navy you know Caico officer over and uh, I wasn't home. I was actually at my Bible study that night. And so they had waited for a little while. And then they went and knocked on my neighbor's door and said, you know, do you know how to get a hold of Debbie? And she said, well, I don't have her cell phone, but I know her son works at, at Lowe's. And so they called Christopher, my son, there. And um, he'd served in the military. He knew. Well, you know, they show up at your house. If they're wounded, they'll call you and try yeah. to get you to them. And they wouldn't tell him, but they didn't need to tell him. So um, he called me, and we were actually celebrating my birthday at my small group. And we hadn't met the week before, which, as I mentioned before, was my birthday. And my girlfriend had given me one of the willow tree angels, and that's the wooden angels with the wire wings. And she said, and each one has a different character quality. And the one she gave me was courage. And she said, you just remind me such a woman of courage with all you've been through in your life, and how uh, you're still positive, and you still serve God. and. So when he called, um, I answered my phone. There was nothing in his voice to alarm or alert me. He wasn't speaking too fast. He wasn't crying. He wasn't urgent, you know, screaming, yelling. And he just said, hey, Mom, where are you? I said, well, it's Wednesday night. I'm a small group. Why? What's up? And he said, um, how long will it take you to get home? And I thought, well, that's kind of an odd question. I don't know, five minutes, seven minutes. Why? What's up? And he said, you just need to come home. And I knew then, I knew it was going to face me when I got home. And I jumped in my car, and there was a song from my past. And it said, I put my hope in you, O Lord, trusting you, I will not be shaken, knowing that you will see me through. I put my hope in you, and I just sang that song over and over and over And I got to the main intersection by my house, and there was probably three or four fire trucks and three or four ambulances and police cars. The whole intersection was blocked off. And as I pulled up on that intersection, I thought, my house blew up. That's all that's wrong. My house blew up. You know, and I would much rather have lost all of my earthly possessions and still had Mark. And to this day, I have no idea, I guess, in the shock and the stress of it all. Um, Somehow I found a way to get in my subdivision, but I couldn't tell you how I did that. And... uh, there were no more emergency vehicles. So I came back to knowing well, what was going to face me when I got home. And uh, I turned the corner on my street expecting the black car to be parked out front. And there was no black car. There were no unusual cars. My son Christopher was there just pacing, you know, back and forth on the sidewalk. And I parked there and I got out. And he said, Mom, the Navy's here. And I remember just following on his shoulder and just crying, saying, No, no. And we walked inside, and um, they'd been in my home for about an hour because they'd been trying to find me. I guess I can be kind of elusive and hard to find at times, but they said, we can tell by being in your home that you're a woman of faith, and you're going to need to rely on that faith for what we're about to tell you. Your son, Mark Allen Lee, has been killed in action. And as a parent, that's the toughest words that you could ever hear. And yet, at that moment... I still knew that God was going to see me through. I had confidence; He'd seen me through that before. He would get me through it again. And um, to this day, I mean, you never forget that impact. You never forget those words. And we sat down, and we were trying to process, you know, what had happened. And I remember sitting in there at a long window next to my door and looking out. My friends from my Bible study had followed me home because when I left, I said something's not wrong. Please be praying. And so they'd follow me home, and I looked at them. And I'm like, What are you doing out there? You know, get inside. And I motioned to them, I said, I need you in here. And as we, uh, you know, talked about Mark and tried to process it, and we cried and prayed and cried and cried. And um, when the guys knew in Iraq that I'd been notified, then I started getting calls from them. And we started to piece together the story of, you know, what Mark had done you know, we learned that it was 115 120 degrees in Ramadi that day and they had been fighting a tense fight for 2 hours and mark's one of the main characters portrayed in the movie American Sniper and that scene you know is in there when Ryan's on the rooftop and gets shot and the guys say that didn't even come close to portraying it but i live in phoenix sometimes it's 115 120 degrees yeah but we're not carrying you know Weapons, or you know, our body armor, or in our air-conditioned houses, or in our swimming pools. And uh, Mark carried the big gun, so he carried anywhere from 150 to 180 pounds. How you do that for two hours in that extreme temperature is beyond me. I mean, you guys are all just wired differently. You can do things that seem superhuman at times, but um, I know you guys. You're just as real, you know, as you or I are, and you, you know. Yes, you're wired differently. You're much stronger than any of us are. But um, you're in battle, you know, and trying to deal with that stuff. And so when Ryan got shot, there were four seals that were up there on the rooftop. And he quickly fell to the ground. And two of the other seals did that very same thing. Mark could have made that choice to do that same thing. But his choice was to stand up in the line of fire right where Ryan had just got shot. He carried the big gun. He knew he could lay down some suppressive fire. But there was no medic that was there, so we knew we needed to do that to get the medic up there. And the medic took one look at Ryan as he got up there and said, we got to get him out of here immediately or there's no chance for survival. So then a second time, Mark did the very same thing, by himself, stood up in the line of fire, hoping that he could lay down that suppressive fire so everybody could get down off the roof. And they did. They sent Ryan off for medical attention, and they climbed in their Bradleys, and they headed back to that base that I mentioned earlier that was named after Mark. And they started to rip their gear off, and and they were trying to process what had just happened. Ryan was bad. They didn't think he was going to survive at all. They pro- figured he would probably died already at that point. I remember Chris Kyle telling me that later. Um, as they ripped off their gear and got some water to refresh themselves, the chief came in. He said, we just found 30 of his insurgents that just attacked us. And without hesitation, Mark looked at his chief, and he said, Roger that. Let's go get him. That base, because I've been there, I know on the other side of Shark Base, Camp Mark Lee, there's a Marine base. You know, they could have sent word over there and said, hey, you know, we need some Marines that are fresh and haven't been out of battle today, but that's not who you guys are. And so they went back into Ramadi, they cleared several houses, and they went in the last house that Mark would be in, and they cleared the bottom of the house, and they proceeded up the steps, and they heard Mark yell, on me. And you know what he was saying? He was saying, I got the lead on this. You guys follow me. And as they went up those steps, they drew fire through a window. And for the last and final time, Mark made the choice to stand into that line of fire. He didn't duck below the wall. He didn't say, hey, we need up here and let his guys all behind him get killed. He made the choice to stand there and give his life for his teammates. And that trickles down to us. That's the freedoms that we enjoy every day that are paid for. And that's why for me... That dedication to serve you, to serve the team guys, to serve every branch of the military. You know, I'm passionate about making sure that I thank them and shake their hand and look in their eye and let them know I love and appreciate them and the sacrifice that they've made. And there probably isn't anything I wouldn't do for our men and women who serve and for our families of our fallen. And it's through the the struggles, it's through the fire, it's through the tragedies in life that the strength and the character and the fortitudes built— it's not in the easy times. It's not when you're, you know, floating on your, you know, your mat in your pool or, you know, sipping your margaritas. It's in those tough times that that's when the character, is built and and tested.
2: Yeah, I I can't thank you enough for sharing that, uh, and your your composure and being able to do so is, is impressive. I, I I wouldn't have been able to do it. I'll tell you that. I I'm glad I didn't have to talk during that. I'll just say that. Um, the, you know, your ability to to communicate that is is one that I, again, can't thank you enough for sharing because, I think, um, you know, the the listener, especially if there's not, you know, a lot of ties to military mm-hmm. or first responders or whatever, is to understand the mentality mm-hmm. um, and and the the camaraderie and the, um, you know, just the the overall level of of sacrifice that a lot of our guys. Uh, you know go through to mm-hmm. to accomplish the the mission and ultimately uh, get get the job done mm-hmm. so uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing that tough yeah to, it's uh, difficult I've yeah.
3: never once you know as many times as I've shared it you know never once does it get rote you know yeah. it's still
2: yeah well it shows it, yeah it comes comes yeah. from the soul no doubt about it so again thank you um, one of the things I and I don't I don't know how to ask this other uh, any other way than just you know kind of trying to synopsize you know what does being a a gold star mother mean to you
3: well it definitely wasn't ever anything i wanted to be or aspired to be none of us do you know it's a club that no one wants to join and trust me we're not recruiting for new members but to know um that history was changed because of my son
1: yeah
3: you know that's pretty amazing
1: yeah
3: you know would i rather selfishly have him back and have history not changed of course yeah. but i get to see and i don't exaggerate that when i say millions and millions of lives have been changed by mark by his letter by um his story that's been shaped, by what we're doing at our foundation yeah. that wouldn't have happened if mark would have still been here yeah and there are prices that are paid for our freedom yeah you know and Our world is a world that needs to be changed. We're not perfect. There is evil in this world that we need to stand against. And that we have warriors like you, like Mark, like those that are listening, whether it's our first responders, our military, that'll stand in harm's way for us. That's pretty overwhelming, you know? And to know that I had the gift, you know, God could have picked anybody else to be that young man's mama, yeah. And I got the blessing to be able to do that. You know, it's, um, I don't know that you say it's an honor to be a cold star. Because, like I said, you don't want to be one. But to know that my kid was one of the kids that's changed, you know, not just America, but changed the world and the history of this world. Yeah. You know? It, it's an honor to to be his mama. Maybe yeah. that's what it's an yeah. honor to be his mom. Not so much a gold star mom.
2: Yeah, not that uh, resonates incredibly powerfully, and uh, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm. You're an amazing advocate for I think the, the community of gold star parents, for nonprofits that uh, that help our veterans, and I think you do a, a fantastic job of of eloquently communicating, uh, you know, that that sacrifice and the importance of, of the support on, on your guys' end.
0: With the Lucky Landslots, Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and
0: start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
1: i'm nick the host of the ufo chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering ufos cryptids conspiracies and the paranormal real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
2: Uh, Is there something that that you wish that everybody knew um, about gold star parents that, that they don't, that you find yourself having to kind of explain?
3: Well, just what a gold star is. Yeah. Uh, I remember doing a a radio interview, and obviously the guy hadn't done his research before he had me on. But he said, we want to welcome Debbie Lee, a gold star mother. Congratulations on being a gold star. I'm like, okay, this is not the charts that you put out for your kids when they do something good and you get the little gold star and put it on there. You know, I didn't know what a gold star was till I became one. So I think just people understanding what what a gold star family is. When you see that gold star hanging in my window... That flag, you know, with the banner and the gold star on it, what does that mean? Yeah. When you see that flag flying in, you know, my backyard, what does that mean? What is a gold star family? Yeah. And that to know that we need to always remember them and not forget them. Yeah. So if you know gold star families in your community, reach out to them, you know, <laughs> stop by and just say, can I give you a hug? Drop off a loaf of bread. You know, mow their lawn, help them out. If it's been, you know, like me, now it's been 12 years. You know, we just don't ever want anybody to forget. And that's the same theme I hear over and over from all the Gold Star families we worked with. So do things to honor and remember their fallen hero. You know, let them know. I think sometimes people are afraid. They don't know what to say, what not to say. Do I talk about it? Do I not talk about it? You know, and everybody agrees differently, so you don't always know what they want to do. But um, just being there gives them that opportunity. Then, if they want to talk about it, they can talk about it. But um, I think just letting them know, you'll never forget. You know, Um, I'm a contributing author in four different books, and when I autograph those books, I autograph it Live Your Life Worthy of Their Sacrifices. And so I think as Americans, that's what we owe not just the Gold Star, but any of our veterans that have served. We do have an obligation for the freedoms that have been paid for by you guys, by the fallen. We have an obligation to live our life worthy of that sacrifice.
2: Yeah. Well, that's a a perfect point to bring up to segue into what you're doing now in in terms of making that a— not just a passion and something you feel strongly about, but you know, turning it into into your life's work, really, mm-hmm. uh, which is transitioning from that grieving process into the the founder and CEO of America's Mighty Warriors. And just for the listener, uh, where I met Debbie was uh, was at Sturgis four years ago now, which is a, a funny <laughs> funny place for us to have, have met. But the Buffalo Chip, uh, who I'd love to to publicly thank uh, you know, Greg and the entire staff of, of the Buffalo chip, they've been bringing a handful of veterans charity groups, uh, there and, and, uh, rolling out the red carpet and, and, um, you know, raising a ton of money throughout the week of Sturgis for, for warrior dog foundation, America's mighty warriors and combat wounded coalition. And, and so, you know, it, it's kind of a, a strange place for us to have, have, uh, crossed paths, but, uh, but we've known each other for a little over four years now. And, and, uh, you know, I'd love to for you to kind of describe the process of you know focusing that uh, that passion and, and grieving process, and all culminating into uh, into creating America's Mighty Warriors, and, and then explain kind of what you guys do. Also,
3: yeah, it's not like I woke up one day and said, "Oh, I'm going to start a nonprofit." Yeah. <laughs> Again, because we were early in the grieving process and the loss in the SEAL community. We weren't as experienced back then. Mark's teammates were still all deployed. They were still in the combat zone. Um, There was not a lot, there was not another Gold Star Mother that was there at the funeral that says, hey, I'm going to walk along this with you. Here's my phone number. Call me if you need me, you know, want to cry, scream, yell, whatever, any time of the day or night. There wasn't anybody there. So I'm kind of walking through this process by myself trying to figure it out. And then about seven weeks later, Mike Monsoor was killed. And He was on um, Delta Platoon, so Mark was Charlie. Delta was his sister, Platoon, which makes up Task Unit Bruiser. And um, I knew I needed to be there. That was about the same time Mark's teammates were coming home. I wanted to be there and welcome them home, not to be seen as, oh, there's poor Mark's mom, but to say, yay, the rest of my boys are home. And so um, I decided to go over there. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a plan and say, okay, I'm going to take them this. I'm going to give this book to them. I'm going to... You know, I, I was going to go be there. And when we got there, it was the, the same hotel where they put them up where we just stayed for Mark's funeral. The vehicles that came to pick them up were the same black SUVs on the exact car, but same looking car. And as I was down there and the family started to get in the car, someone from the command came up to me and said, "We want you in that car, with the family." I'm like, "Oh, no, 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 This is not about me. This is not about Mark." I'm here to support that. This family is, in. and they said exactly, that's why we want you in the car. And so I got in the car, and as we pulled up to Fort Rosecrans after the, the service, same casket, same place we'd just been for Mark, you know. Only difference now was I knew what it was like to get that folded flag. And I remember getting out of it and just feeling like my scars just, you know, I'd started to heal, not much, but I started the healing process, and I just felt like it might have been ripped wide open again. But I knew I didn't want them to go through it alone, and um, so that's where it started. And then I would just happen to be in Washington D.C. I live in Arizona. You don't just happen to be
2: in Washington. <laughs> I was in D. the neighborhood.
3: Yeah, I just yeah. went out for coffee and <laughs> took a wrong turn. Although coming here, I saw Paris was just yeah, down the road. No, it so. Yeah, it's right up the street. Um, the, you know, we'd have a wounded. Jay Redmond was one of them. I just yeah. happened to be in Washington D.C. when he was flown in. You know. Um, And would be there and just support them, support the families. Again, I didn't have a plan. But in my heart, I talked earlier about, you know, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd always been one. If someone had had a baby, I'd take meals or there was a funeral. I'd go support the families. So, And then I did that for probably about two years out of my own pocket. And then pretty soon I'm like, okay, I'm not a wealthy woman. I can't keep this up. And uh, other people had encouraged me to start a foundation. So that's when I started the foundation. It was in 2008. Yeah. but had been doing that since seven weeks after Mark died. The name of the foundation, the meaning of the name Mark, means mighty warrior. And it's not just about Mark. It's about every man and woman who's served, and that's why our foundation is America's Mighty Warriors. And um, it started just doing those things that I talked about, supporting in the SEAL community, those families. And then um, Mark's amazing last letter home talked about doing more random acts of kindness, how we could change our world. So I'm like, oh, what a cool way to honor Mark, you know, by doing those random acts of kindness that he talked about. He says, when did you, the last time you paid for a stranger's cup of coffee or meal or tank of gas? So we yeah. started doing those little things. Um, since then, the program has increased to, we do up to a $5,000 grant. Um, typically, that's crisis situations, although it doesn't have to be. We had a um, early on a veteran amputee, I think it was his leg, um, Got married just before he deployed. Never had a honeymoon, so we helped, you know, cover the cost of their honeymoon to Hawaii. But typically, it's you know, someone's child has cancer and is dying, or their house is just burnt to the ground, or you know, something like that where we can step in and help. Um, the veterans themselves can't come ask for help because, unfortunately, we've found there's a lot of veterans with a "you owe me everything" mentality, mm-hmm. and just go from charity to charity to see what they can get, yeah. and. Typically, the ones that need help won't come ask. Yeah, and so if you knew somebody, you could reach out and say, "Hey, Mama Lee, this is the circumstance. Here's what's going on." That helps us vet them. Yeah, you okay. know, and then we still do that process. Yeah, um, then we started doing about five years ago um, a lot with our veterans with post traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. We're uh, paying for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And uh, it's actually healing the brain, not yeah. just helping with the symptoms. Um, we're doing hormone and vitamin therapy. The medic that was with Mark when he died, uh, Kevin Lace, is now out and is a physician's assistant. And yeah. uh, that's where he focuses on. So we do a lot with him. Uh, and then we pay for travel costs to a program called Mighty Oaks, which is a retreat in California that actually the SEAL community is doing a lot of referrals there. But we, our philosophy is let's do natural things that restore yeah. their health. Let's not send them to the VA. Give them drugs, and I can't. And I know there are good VAs, but a lot of them have issues.
2: Yeah, there's more and, bad than good for and sure. And I feel
3: like the mentality. I can't tell you how many gallon-sized baggies filled with prescription drugs veterans have brought to me. Yeah, That's it. I'm supposed to take these. Yeah. So is this over the years they've given you? No, this is one month's prescription. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And two thirds of them, the side effects says may cause suicidal tendency, and we wonder why our suicide rate's so high. Yeah. So if we can get them off those drugs, if we can heal the brains, not just mask the symptoms. And um, we've had an amazing outcome with that. For our Gold Star families, we have a house called the Heroes Hope Home in Arizona. And that's where our families that have fallen can come stay for free. And we just love on them and let them know. We'll never forget when they get there, they get gift baskets. And there's chocolates and balloons and flowers and um, things in there for, for them. And then we've got a gift basket with gift cards for manicures pedicures, massages, meals, sporting events. So that whole week is just a way to love on them and let them know we'll never forget their hero and we won't forget them. Um, I'm actually here in Texas this week because we do retreats down here twice a year. The one that kicks off tomorrow, we'll have 14 families arriving. Um, This is our combined, so it's our Purple Heart recipients, um, their immediate family, and then our Gold Star families, which includes the parents, the siblings in their family, the spouses, and the children. So we try to impact that whole family uh, in that way. And then we do a lot of advocacy and education. So if there's an injustice, we'll try to step in and and make that right. Um, Use our voices to educate people as to the sacrifices that you guys make for those freedoms that we enjoy every day, and most of us take for granted.
2: Yeah, it's amazing work. You know, one of the things that I know we had talked about uh, just a few weeks ago at Sturgis was the, the hyperbaric treatment for. TBIs and, and PTS symptoms. And I, I would love if you can, uh, I mean, not that, not that we're all a bunch of scientists sitting around here, but if you can, uh, go a little further into that process, because I know, you know, I've had a, we've all had, you know, a, a number of friends that have, that we've lost to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to PTSD and, and, um, you know, or depression or a combination of the two. And, and after the fact, finding out that, a an enormous contributing factor or, or two of them is, some sort of brain injury Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's compounded by a lot of the, you know, uh, psychotropic or or anti-depression medications that actually make things worse and so to me i i love hearing about a, a process that's that is i mean it's it's essentially completely natural in terms of it's, mm-hmm. it's there's no drugs there's no surgery it, it's just can you uh, talk a little bit more about that what what that process is and 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 what it does and then also uh, i'd love if you could share one or two of the success stories of guys that you know after the 30 days just walk us through that whole process if sure you
3: so the um, treatment involves 40 consecutive treatments. You go in the hyperbaric chamber, which a lot of people are familiar with those for divers. When they get the bins, they go in these chambers mm-hmm. and bring their oxygen levels back up. And so this is the same thing. The pressurization can be set at different levels for different things, but the basic, in the research they've done through the years, the basic treatment is 40 treatments. You go in the chamber for an hour each day. It's the pressurization of the oxygen. It's not like you can just sit here and take deeper breaths and go...
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: It's because the pressurization of it intensifies the depth that it can go into the cells. Oxygen is a natural healer. I mean, you think about your wounds on the outside. The reason we cover them is so they don't get infected, but the oxygen, if it's not covered, will heal it quicker than, uh, than other things will. As they go in there, it compounds itself each day. So the day after day after day, that's why it's consecutive treatments. Then your impact is even greater. We had um, a Navy SEAL who retired probably about a year, year and a half ago who just went through treatment. And I'll have to see you know if I can find the picture to show you. I might have showed you up at
2: Sturgis. You did, yeah. It was, it was astounding, so, the progress. Um,
3: absolutely amazing. He, we did a brain scan, a spec scan, before he went in, after the 40 treatments. He went to a facility where he stayed there for the month. And then he did two treatments a day. So it was only you know four weeks of treatment. Why he was down there. There has to be at least four hours in between so you don't get oxygen toxicity. But there are no side effects. It's not like you, you know.
2: Yeah.
3: It's just, it's one of the best things that there, you know, can be done. We are working with the VA to try to make the standard of care. If they had chambers in the combat zone, and as soon as you guys were breaching or been in explosions or even training with what you guys go through, then you guys wouldn't be coming back with a lot of these issues. A lot of the issues are the frontal lobe, where the damage is at but as you looked at that spec scan that i showed you you saw the before and after and the brain's kind of mangled and you can see all the holes in the missing parts yeah and afterwards it's filled
2: it it reminded me of uh, a body shop you know like a a car that's wrecked and and everything's all fucking dented dented and and whatever and and using magnets and the ability to pull them out and and make what was you know looked like it's been microwave cheese to something that's brand new and completely refreshed and i i mean it was it was it was astounding to me, you know, and, and I know, you know, that technology needs to be much more prevalent and, and I think it would, uh, you know, make a, a significant impact in, in terms of helping a lot of veterans who uh, succumb to, to suicide, yeah. uh, not have that happen. And, and I would love to see that, uh, you know, be be a more standardized level yeah. of care across the board. I uh, agree.
3: We actually, um, I had them in my home. They stopped and visited two weeks ago when they were in town for a wedding and uh I was able to, you know, just pick his brain and say, "Okay, typically the, the first week, uh, so many of the veterans struggling with PTS and TBI, they don't sleep well. Uh, I don't know how many I've had say, yeah, how do you, sl- how much do you sleep each night? Uh, three hours. Yeah. Uh, how long you been doing that? I don't know, five years, ten years. I'm like." Okay, yes. you would not want to be around me. I can guarantee it. <laughs> if I only had three or four hours of sleep every yeah. night, I would be frustrated. I wouldn't be thinking well. I'd be yeah. agitated. And thus, that's why they struggle with you know, a lot yeah. of those things. The headaches. Yeah. So that first week, people are like, oh my gosh, I slept eight hours solid last night. That's the first time in you know three mm-hmm. years, five years, 10 years. My headaches are gone. If I had a headache and not sleeping, you really would not want to be around me. And you yeah. can see why people just lose it because... They're on the edge. You know, our bodies aren't designed to go with no sleep and have a headache all the oh, time. Oh, it's
2: detrimental, yeah. The
3: memory issues. So when this seal came and visited me, he um, shared a lot how, how much better he was doing in all the different ways. And then he said, you made me a seal again. And obviously, that's the community that I love very dearly. And there could not be a higher compliment. You know, I heard what he was saying. I had this thought process, I had this determination before, I had this person who I was, and I wasn't that person anymore. Yeah. And you've made me back to that warrior that I was. Not that he's saying he wants to go back into combat or but that I that what we're doing as a foundation can
2: restore that. Yeah. Yeah, there's no no better compliment.
3: I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was yeah. just like, oh man. And I was like, I wish we just had that on can't, you know, on sound or camera, what yeah. you just said, and, and he is going to be doing some stuff for us there. Yeah. But was if we can restore a peace close to who you guys were before you left, we owe that to you as a nation. This is our responsibility. You signed the line and said, I will give up to the price of my life if need be. Yeah, And some were required of that, like my son Mark but the ones that are back, we can still help you guys. And that's our responsibility as a nation. And that's not something, you know, that I can do alone. You know, we need a vast army surrounding us to help us do that. You know, I've got those connections, know where to refer people to the doctors, get them that help, do the follow-up, you know, but we need people helping us not just raise those funds, but get the word out to these veterans that are struggling.
2: And to me, uh, you ought to run the VA, honestly, like, I mean, or or whoever's running the VA needs to have your, your mentality because it it gets talked about, but it's, it's bullshit. You know, I mean, you you can, you can tell it's going through the motions and and whatever. And, and to me that that's one of the things that, uh, you know, that pisses me off probably more than just about anything is, Mm -hmm. is, uh, the, the lack of level of care that exists, uh, you know, in the VA. And I've, I've dealt with some of it, certainly not on the scale that, you know a lot of guys have but enough for me to to be pretty frustrated with it yeah one thing that I was curious of did the, the guy that that you're talking about the success story was was the VA or, or any other clinic did, did he have any proposed or attempted treatment prior to that that didn't work or um...
3: I think he tried a few but um, a lot of you guys, being in the SEALs and Special Forces, you don't want to admit that there's issues the problems, yeah. or things uh, that you need help with. Yeah. And um, because I have known them for a while and he's seen what we're doing and I, you know, lovingly would plug away and say, hey,
1: yeah,
3: we can get you some help here. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, finally, I think some of the issues then were being more evident to him that yeah. he was willing to say, okay, I'm ready.
2: Yeah. So, Significant enough. That,
3: that is not a weakness. To say you need help,
2: I know it, it's tough. Yeah, but,
3: I know it's tough.
2: Yeah, like, um,
3: I, I, I'm kind of hitting myself <laughs> <laughs> sometimes.
2: But. I know it. Um, so, uh, other than everything that you that you've got going on now, like uh, what what now or what moving into the future, where do you, where do you see uh, America's mighty warriors uh, transitioning into the future in terms of growth or uh, or what have you?
3: Well, um, the the last four years, we've doubled. Every two years, yeah. our impact and the families that we've been able to help. That's amazing. And so I continue to see that to be a growth pattern. You know, I I would love, you know, it may not be reality, but I would love to thank every veteran. You know, whether it's over, you know, the airwaves, you know, speaking at Sturgis, um, hand giving them a handshake and passing out the thank you cards that we give to them. I mean, every veteran that served has paid for my freedoms, and I would like to have that opportunity to thank every one of them. I would like to be able to help as many of them as we have the funding to. I would love to have the problem of tomorrow morning, I get 100 emails from veterans who need help, who are struggling with post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury, and to say, oh, we don't have enough money to pay for everybody. That's a good problem to have. Then we work on raising those additional funds. Um, I would love for every Gold Star family member to know that they're loved, that they're appreciated, that they're not alone. And I think that's one of the things that I felt, and I told you kind of started this, was yeah. I felt so alone. I felt like nobody else could possibly understand what I was going through. And again, that may yes. not happen that I have that opportunity to do that,
2: mm-hmm. but
3: that's my goal. I would love to be able to do that.
2: Yeah. One of the things, I don't know if you're you're aware of it, there's intermittent times throughout this interview where you, you grasp the, uh, the trident necklace you have. Do you, do you, are you aware that you yeah. do that? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty neat for anybody that, that uh, watches the YouTube video. It's, it's a, a touching subconscious mm. nonverbal communicator that, uh, that I've noticed yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty neat, neat oh, to see, cool. uh, in in conjunction with what you're saying. But two big questions is, is there a capability or a capacity that, that you're not currently offering that, that is a goal of yours that people can help with? Uh, you know, to move in the future, or is it just to continue to do what you're doing at a, at a larger scale? Or
3: Well, I would like to eventually have our own retreat center. Um, we are very blessed Fellowship Church, which is a big mega church out of Dallas. Um, it's their facility where they do their youth camp, amazing facility, thousand acres. Um, it's got zip line, kayaking, canoeing, um, one time I said waterboarding. It's paddleboarding. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, no, come on down. We'll, we're we'll, gonna waterboard, we'll waterboard you the, you.
3: Um, the <laughs> horseback riding. I mean, it's got like a mini water park, and so the um, we're blessed to have them help us, you know, sponsor that. But it's only available certain times, and yeah. so that really limits us when we can get that. So sure. we would love to eventually you know have our own retreats. you want to be able where, to
2: waterboard year round.
3: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody yeah. can come in and say anything. no. Yeah. Um, that could be a, a facility where we could also combine what we're doing with post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. um you know where they can go on site bring their families while they're getting treatment or something yeah. um that would be awesome to be able to do that my dream when i first started this was to have a cruise ship filled with just gold star families that yeah. once a year we do a cruise for them and the wait staff is all either former military or yeah. patriots
2: be, you know all the entertainment booze on that trip
3: yeah yeah <laughs> oh, um, former military. We'll, we'll just give them yeah. tickets and they're going to like have so many every day yeah. um and have all the entertainment's all patriotic, you know, yeah. or it's just a really uplifting time yeah. to come together. So. Oh, that would
2: be awesome. So Carnival, Norwegian, Princess.
3: If and, you're listening. And, and, and
2: any <laughs> of you assholes out there that have any uh, sway with them, why don't you uh, give Mama Lee a call and, there you and help her up with that. Um, where where can can the listener find find you guys and more importantly, how can they help?
3: So they can find us at Americas, and that's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S, Mighty, M-I-G-H-T-Y, Warriors, W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S.org. Um, our office number is 623-537-5322. They can call us there as well. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, social media.
2: Is there a, a method with with which donating is uh, more beneficial or easier, or, or can you PayPal it? Can you do online donations? You could do
3: it? an online donation um, on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also call our office. We can run through Square. You can send us a check, uh, P.O. Box 8114, Surprise, Arizona 85374. That doesn't take any funds out when you send it that way, but I know that's not always practical, and yeah. sometimes easier to do it now. Yeah. It's easy to do yeah. it that way.
2: So for everybody out there listening, uh, Mama Lee has been through uh, an, an amazing journey and, and an incredibly difficult one. And, and the fact that you have created this organization and done what you've done with it is is inspiring. It's remarkable. And it's, uh, you know, honorable is, is the, the best way I can even try to describe it. Um, I can't thank you enough for, for doing that. And I know that you've changed thousands of of people's lives tens of thousands of people's lives in doing so and so uh, in true mic drop fashion uh, i'm telling you guys i'm not asking you uh, go to america's mighty warriors and uh, and hook them up and help them out or uh, you can choke yourself and then go do it for not doing it fast enough but uh, go to the website support them uh, buy the t-shirts tell everybody you know about them It, it is an important mission and, uh, and one with which uh, we all feel very passionately about and, uh, and want to see uh, continue to grow and succeed the way that it has been. Um, the last question I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask before I, I want to wrap up with reading Mark's last letter home is tell me something that you're grateful for.
3: I am grateful for the freedoms that we have here in America. I'm grateful for my family and grateful for my faith.
2: Amen. I uh, I always like to ask that of of all the guests because I think it's a good way to to end on a positive note of of uh, you know appreciating something. And so uh, I am going to uh, show you my appreciation for the sacrifice that your son made. Um, and I, I hope my hope is that this podcast uh, can at least in some way begin to do some of that justice. But one of the most uh, prominent things. And impacts that, that Mark had since his passing is the last letter home that he wrote. Uh, and it's, it's very popular. Uh, it's inspired uh, just truckloads of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to take uh, a few brief moments here to, to read that before we, uh, before we finish. Glory is something that some men chase and others find themselves stumbling upon, not expecting it to find them. Either way, it is a noble gesture that one finds bestowed upon them. My question is when does glory fade away and become a wrongful crusade or an unjustified means by which consumes one completely? I have seen war. I have seen death. The sorrow that encompasses your entire being as a man breathes his last. I can only pray and hope that none of you will ever have to experience some of these things I have seen and felt here. I've felt fear and have felt adrenaline pumped through my veins, making me seem invincible. I will be honest and say that some of the things I've seen here are unjustified and uncalled for. However, for the most part, we are helping this country. It will take more years than most expect, but we will get Iraq to stand on its own feet. Most of what I've seen here, I will never really mention or speak of only due to the nature of those involved. I have seen a man give his food to a hungry child and family. Today I saw a hospital that most of us would refuse to receive treatment from. The filth and smell would allow most of us not to be able to stand to enter, let alone get medicine from. However, you will be relieved to know that coalition forces have started to provide security for and supply medicine and equipment to help aid in the cause. I've seen amazing things happen here. However, I've seen the sad part of war too. I've seen the morals of a man who cares nothing of human life. I have seen hate towards a nation's people who has never committed a wrong, except being born of a third world, ill-educated and ignorant to Western civilization. It is not everybody who feels this way, only a select few, but it brings questions to mind. Is it okay for one to consider themselves superior to another race? Surprising, we are not a stranger to this sort of attitude. Meaning that in our own country, we discriminate against someone for what nationality they are, their education level, their social status. We distinguish our role models as multi-million dollar sports heroes or talented actors and actresses who complain about not getting millions of dollars more than they're currently getting paid. Our country is a great country. Don't get me wrong on this. Otherwise, none of us would be living there. My point of this is how can we come over here and help a less than fortunate country without holding contempt or hate towards them if we can't do it in our country? I try to do my part over here, but the truth is over there, the United States, I do nothing but take. Ask yourself, when was the last time you donated clothes that you hadn't worn out? When was the last time you paid for a random stranger's cup of coffee, meal, or maybe even a tank of gas? When was the last time you helped a person with groceries into or out of their car. Think to yourself and wonder what it would feel like if and when the bill for a meal came you were told it was already paid for. More random acts of kindness like this would change our country and our reputation as a country. It is not unknown to most of us that the rest of the world looks at us with doubt towards our humanity and morals. I'm not here to preach or to say look at me because I'm just as his fault as the next person. I find that being here makes me realize the great country we have and the obligation we have to keep it that way. The fourth has just come and gone and I received many emails thanking me for helping keep America great and free. I take no credit for the career path I have chosen, I can only give it to those of you who are reading this, because each one of you has contributed to me and who I am. However, what I do over here is only a small percent of what keeps our country great. I think the truth to our greatness is each other. Purity, morals, and kindness pass down to each generation through example. So to all my family and friends, do me a favor and pass on the kindness, the love, the precious gift of human life to each other, so that when your children come into contact with a great conflict that we are now faced with here in Iraq, they are the people of humanity, of pure motives, of compassion. This is our real part to keep America free. Happy 4th, love you, Mark Lee. And there's a PS, halfway through the deployment, can't wait to see all your faces. That letter um, is, is an incredible letter. Um, to me, that should be printed out and, and should be a, a syllabus in every school in this country. I encourage everybody listening to go to, to the website, to the America's Mighty Warriors website, and download that, print it out, have your kids read it, keep a copy of it, and, and, and let it be one of, of many thousands of lives who have been changed uh, in reading that, taking it on board, and actually trying to implement that. Mama Lee, again, um, I'm humbled to have you here. I can't thank you enough for coming. If there's anything that, that I or, or we as, as a group here can do to help your cause and, and keep keep you kicking ass the way that you have been, uh, let us know, and, and we're happy to do it. Uh, I thank you for being here. Is there anything uh, you'd like to add before we uh, before we wrap it up?
3: No, nope, I think that's good. I appreciate your support. And uh, as I said, every veteran that's listening, I love you. Uh, if there's anything we can do for you, I appreciate the sacrifice that you've made for me, and I will never forget
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna end on that note um last thing i will say uh as always i appreciate the listener without you guys we would not have the privilege of doing this uh, i hope that this message resonates with you guys and and uh and that you the listener can appreciate uh, the level of sacrifice that this woman and her family have been through on your behalf uh and if not fucking choke yourself uh love all you guys uh you'll be hearing again from us soon this is Mike drop